morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Vanguard. For Spike, Dr. Dre, Dole, Cohen, I am Ooh. Matt Wright, and together we are traversing the muddied waters of freedom. I am so glad that I don't look at your list of Jewish rap names for me to, to intro me with each uh, each episode. Hey everybody, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining us on this very special Saturday episode of Muddied Waters of Freedom. First and foremost, oh yeah, allow, allow me to thank Casey Nether Campbell for the kava that I am drinking <laughs> on today's episode. And allow me to thank Krogerthian the fifth for my purified drinking water. Because I can't, I have the blue, but I, I don't feel like getting it. Blue vanaka, blue vanaka. Mm. Woo! Well, this has been quite a week. It has been <laughs> such a week that we couldn't do either of our episodes. Yeah. So a we, lot of fun. We, we had a really long episode planned for Tuesday, and we had to cancel that at the last minute. And. Yeah. Um, well, we just added stuff to it, so this is going to be, be a long episode. I hope you <laughs> folks like long episodes. This um, is going to be a super-sized episode of the Muddied Waters of Freedom. If you heard that there was a Trump rally this evening and you thought, well, I don't want to do anything hyper-partisan. Well, I want to do something that's very hyper-partisan and is going to take an incredible amount of time. But I don't like Donald Trump and I don't want to leave my home. You found the right place today tonight because that's we're going to be spending hopefully we do this in under the four hours that you that facebook cuts people off if they take longer than that yeah. um because this is going to take a while we got this a lot gonna, this this was a this is, we've got a lot to unpack on this This one. was a busy week and a half and uh there's a lot of stuff on here uh to everyone watching we know you have the option of listening to a strong political candidate one who speaks to the people one who talks about unifying the country with radical ideas or you could be watching Trump in front of 19,000 people. So thank you for that. There are many different ways to describe what Trump is doing right now. I certainly won't. Ooh, I, even, um, if it's, even if it's written in the show notes. I Yeah, I, I, I put that in there and I said, I wonder if he's going to read that. I definitely um, uh, Oh, this episode is brought to you, of course, by... The Libertarian Dad Bod Calendar featuring some of the sexiest libertarian men to ever be libertarian and male at the same time, including this beast of a man you see on your screen right now, yours truly, Mr. April, the sweet summer boy. And we don't ask why the sweet summer boy is in April. We just go with it. Featuring 11 other incredibly sexy men. And a uh, great way to social distance uh, to have something like this on your person at all times. We'll definitely keep people six feet or more away from you. Uh, you can get yours today. $12 shipped, $30 signed and shipped at libertariandadbod.com. This episode is also brought to you by the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing Honestly, at this point, one of the fastest growing caucuses in the party, period. Really. Uh, and also brought to you by one of our new sponsors, Black Coffee, who there is a shipment of black coffee coming right now to both my mother and 
to Matt because I don't drink coffee. And we are going to be giving some reviews of it, uh, I think, by the next episode or the episode after. Uh, so we can tell you just how good it is. But we've heard nothing but good st- good stuff about it. Organic, cold brewed, just like Grandpa used to make in the... Just, if you use checkout code, M- <laughs> if you use checkout code MW, you get free shipping and we get a dollar. So be sure to do that. This episode is also brought to you by the Jorgensen Cohen, the Jorgensen Cohen campaign. Joe Jorgensen and I are running to set America free in our time and to make our lives healthier, happier, and safer by using common sense libertarian solutions to solve the problems created and made worse by the Republicans and the Democrats. And this episode, of course, is brought to you by Henry McMaster, who the entire Jorgensen Cohen campaign is on the record of stating unequivocally is, in fact, a bitch. Oh, and if you... And also... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this episode also we got a lot of sponsors this episode yep. is brought to you by oh, yeah, you skip over like our real one <laughs> like our actual <laughs> well, no, I, not, well I, we have some real ones in. anyway if you are in florida and you find yourself injured personally or you know someone else whose person was in fact injured you just find this guy right here chris reynolds personal injury attorney chris reynolds attorney at law Go to chrisreynoldslaw.com, or if you just see this face smiling over you, you don't even have to look, my friend. He's already there. And that's very possible because he is somewhat, he's not omnipresent, but he's multi-present. chrisreynoldslaw.com. So yeah, huge episode today. Yes. Um, So instead of the normal banter, we should probably just get right on into the rapid fire i segment. felt like that was fairly normal banter no are we, are we expected to banter more than that i don't well normally we go into hey how was your week what did you do blah 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 but you know i talked I mean, about my week my, my week was great how was your week i mean my week was good good all right so speaking of weeks uh wait was this at oh no this was already in here uh officer brent hankison of the Louisville Police Department, the officer who murdered Breonna Taylor during a no-knock raid uh, was fired from the Louisville Louisville Police Department this week. Um, and as of now, 28 days after her murder, he's not actually been charged with anything, and nobody else has either. But the Louisville City Council unanimously voted to pass Brianna's law, which, among other things, bans no-knock raids in the city of Louisville, also requires that all uh, uh, officer interactions, including the carrying out of warrants, um, of search warrants, uh, that they have to have their body cam on uh, if they want the evidence to be be admissible. And there were some other, other things as well. So, I mean, it was a really good police reform law. And uh, that had that happened in the wake. So, I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible that she was murdered and that it took that to cause this to happen. But since she's already been murdered, it's good that as a result of that and public outcry that, you know, that this has happened, if nothing else. Uh, But, yep, nope, still not arrested for murdering her. What I what I've noticed has been a trend over the last few weeks, like like seriously, even even before the George Floyd thing. 
George Floyd thing, the George Floyd murder. Um, we have been saying this is a really dark cloud, but if you're looking for the silver lining, you at least have this. And that law is the faintest of silver linings on yes. a very dark cloud. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it is, it's a horrific thing that we, that these events are absolute nightmares. And uh, the most horrifying thing is again, watching people commit murder and then get put on desk duty while they investigate it. And that's, which is when people say, well, you know, there's other, you're more likely to get killed by someone else than by a cop. Yeah. And then if they do it, then people look for them and they go to jail immediately and they're tried. And it's, you know, that's the problem is if the police do it, there's a strong likelihood they'll never see jail. And there's a decent likelihood they won't even get fired for it. Or they'll yeah. get fired from this department and then hired by another one. So and get rehired. So it's it's it is that is the problem. Not just that the murders are happening, it's that then no one's held accountable for it. So at least some of these laws are passing and hopefully it will prevent another Brianna Taylor, countless more from happening. I actually personally went out and personally thanked by message I found all of the pages and profiles of the Louisville City Council members. And uh, wrote each one of them personally, thanking them for passing this and voting for it and saying that, you know, uh, countless lives will never know how many lives are saved as a result of it. So and they were pretty receptive of that. Well, good. Yeah. Um, Speaking of people who are receptive. A group calling themselves Republican Voters Against Trump released an ad with Spike's favorite senator, Lindsey Graham, touting Joe Biden and bashing Trump and has been called the best campaign ad of all time by a Bush advisor. I was going to say, by who? <laughs> by a Bush advisor. Yeah, I, that I believe. God. Yeah, that was. Well, that, I want to talk to the Trump supporters for a minute. What is Donald Trump's campaign about? He's a race baiting, xenophobic religious bigot and you know how you make america great again tell donald trump to go to hell if you can't admire joe biden as a person that's probably you got a problem (laughs) (laughs) you need to do some self-evaluation because what's not to like he is as good a man as god ever created he said some of the most incredibly heartfelt things that anybody could ever say to me he's the nicest person i think i've ever met in politics This is a defining moment in the future of the Republican Party. We have to reject this demagoguery, and if we don't reject Donald Trump, we've lost the moral authority, in my view, to govern this great nation. There is someone who exists who thinks that that is the greatest campaign ad of all time. Of all time. Of all time. Now, granted, in all of the articles that I read about that ad, which was multiple for such a short segment, <laughs> only because I was I was fascinated by it. Nobody ever mentioned who it was, just a former Bush advisor. And I said, is this person real? Maybe. But it might have been like Bush. It might have been like Jeb Bush is like off the record. Best ad ever. Best ad ever. I, first clap. of all, I just want to show this part again. Well, I, I, I hate want to that talk I can't. to the Trump supporters for a minute. Hold on here. I'll what is Donald what Trump's campaign about? Well, He's a race baiting, xenophobic, religious <laughs> bigot. And you know how you make America okay, great again? Tell Donald Trump to go to hell. Go to hell. That's what it can <laughs>
That's on a campaign ad. Go to hell. Go to hell. <laughs> so these are from a uh, from an interview that he did with the Huffington Post back in 2016, and it was shortly after Trump gave his nope, and it was shortly after Trump gave his um, phone number out to everybody. So it's understandable that at the time Lindsay was very bitter at him. Yeah, this wasn't recent. This, no, was, this was not, yeah, this was definitely not recent. This wasn't this wasn't recent, but oh man. <laughs> but you know, the best way oh, to make Joe to Biden hell. palpable to people who don't like Joe Biden is to include Lindsey Graham. Lindsey, I think TARP was necessary because the whole economy was going to collapse and burn Bernanke, Paulson, and everybody that I know quite frank and quite frankly trust after Lehman Brothers went down that if we had not involved ourselves quickly, you'd have a financial meltdown, Graham. And is, the, is this on the we because we have better uh, other quotes as well? That's not part of the okay, yeah, <laughs> we do have better quotes, okay, yeah. So we have uh, here, oh, in fact. <laughs> Good news. We have some other quotes from him. Quotes and from this, him. these are really easy to read, so I'm going to I'm going to tune in here. So free we, we can tune we can we can trade off. So I'll say that free speech is a great idea, but we're in a war. Right. Rand Paul's saying now that he wants this president to tell him that he will not use a drone to kill an American citizen sitting in a cafe having a cup of coffee who is not a combatant. I find the question offensive. As much as I disagree with President Obama, as much as I support past presidents, I do not believe that question deserves an answer. Kind of does. Kind of does deserve an answer. We need to raise taxes to get our nation out of debt. NCLB was a historic effort to bring about accountability to our schools. No child left behind was a historic effort to bring about accountability to our schools and measure achievement and progress of our students. If you're just tuning in, this is Lindsey Graham that we're, we're rage quoting. Uh, I'm going to vote with my party. I just think oil subsidies have to be part of a bigger pack. This is like the most stereotypically terrible crony responses to anything i just think oil subsidies have to be a part of a bigger package i'm a verizon customer i don't mind verizon turning over records to the government if the government is going to make sure that they try to match up a known terrorist phone with somebody in the united states i don't think you're talking to the terrorists i know you're not i know i'm not so we don't have anything to worry about we don't have anything to worry about from the government and when they say, I want my lawyer, you tell them, shut up. You don't get a lawyer. That one does not age well. <laughs> that didn't start well. That, yeah, no, that one, that one does not start. The whole plot line of that one is awful. <laughs> I don't know of a time where anyone would have been like, yeah, that's how I felt too before you said it. <laughs> right, I, no, that's, a point. that's a valid point. I mean, that's, that is... Uh, I mean, but that's Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham. He God doesn't bless him, well, that's Lindsey Graham. Didn't start well. Didn't, no, it, it started poorly and kept going from there. It didn't really no. get worse. It just sort of plateaued at terrible. You can't get worse if you're already at the floor. Um, I, like, I like that he just is so proud of saying things like, we need more oil subsidies. Yeah, that's... That's a, that's a good one. Uh, yeah. So in a... Speaking of... Republican blows. 
In a blow to the conservative movement in the in the U.S., the Supreme Court ruled in a 6-3 ruling on Monday that discriminating against an employee for being gay or transgender violates the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's right. Neil Gorsuch wrote in the majority decision that an employer, which, by the way, this pissed off so many of his supporters. Because uh, he's more kind of libertarian leaning in his yeah conservative slash libertarian leaning yeah right um, wrote in the majority decision that an employer who fires an individual for being homosexual or transgender fires that person for traits or actions it would not have questioned in members of a different sex. Sex plays a necessary and undistinguishable role in the decision. Exactly what Title Seven forbids. So here is the key thing here. The Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, whether you like the outcome of this decision or not, the Supreme Court actually did its job this time. So rather than get into the weeds of whether this was a good law or not, the Civil Rights Act, what they did was they read the law and they said, how should this be interpreted in this case? What is it saying here? And what they determined, and I think I don't think there's really anyone that could argue otherwise, saying that you can't discriminate against someone's sex and then trying to say, oh, but that wouldn't mean their gender or who they're attracted to sexually. It would just mean basically what genitals they have, I think completely flies in the face of the what anyone would take that to mean. And so that's what they determined, and that's where we are. So it's one of those, if you don't like the act or you don't like that provision in the act, then there has to be a legislative role there as opposed to taking it to the court and telling them to strike it down or to say it doesn't apply the way it's fairly clearly written. So that's what happened there. Um, Justices Alito, Thomas, and Kavanaugh all wrote dissents on the case. And Tom, which, by the way, go ahead. Which is absolutely no shock that those three wrote dissents on that case or dissented, dissented on that case. Um, it is shocking that all three of them wrote dissents on it. Well, especially Thomas, because, and we're going to be getting in, into this later. Uh, Clarence Thomas has written more stuff in dissents and majority opinions uh, uh, in the last, actually, I think they were all dissents, right? Um, I'm pretty certain he's only written dissents recently. Yeah. He, he's written more dissents in recent times than he has in his entire, like 30 year career, uh, yeah. or 27 year, whatever it is, 20, 28, 27 year career. It's actually kind of interesting how, how much he's been writing. So it's, it's, and, and he's been writing a lot of stuff. Uh, not necessarily on this, but in general stuff that we are kind of liking how he's writing it. So right. it's, and it's we'll be talking a, about that. Go ahead. He um is famously quiet. I think right. before this session, he had asked something like four questions in 27 years. And now he has been asking questions in many of the cases. Like he seems to he seems to be becoming an active member, a more active member 
not saying he wasn't active before, but before he was just listening and taking in. And now he is actually asking questions that the other justices aren't asking. Aren't asking. And that's the thing. So it makes you wonder if maybe he's kind of changing his opinion where he doesn't feel like the other justices are already asking what he wants to say. And the direction he's kind of taking, at least when it comes to issues of police brutality and government power in general, kind of like it. I mean, it's it, it, I, I'm kind I'm 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 hesitant to say I like where he's going with it, but it's it's been we're in general. We're going to see what happens in the next. Uh, well, definitely in the next session, but I think there's a few more things that are supposed to be coming out. A few more rulings that are supposed to be coming out, and we're we're going to see where he stands on those to see how if he's becoming somebody we can like. If he's becoming a slash our guy slash um so uh sorry real quick chris reynolds just put in the in the comments thomas was literally asleep the last time i was at the court to watch live arguments yeah but when was that because if it was the early 2000s then okay because that's what we were just saying but he's been maybe he needed an app so he could write stuff chris it's not always about you. How about that? It's not always about Chris. Uh, speaking about things that aren't about Chris, uh, Donald Trump also took a bit of a personal setback due to the Supreme Court uh, after they ruled that his executive order, which reversed DACA, which is the Deferred Action for Children. Oh, no. Deferred. Oh, no. It's the program <laughs> where they don't they don't deport uh, the children of illegal immigrants, if they stay, if they report and list themselves on a database and report regularly to it, deferred action for childhood arrivals. That's what that yes. means. And uh, and so uh, they, yeah, they ruled that he, it was unconstitutional for him to um, to uh, uh, repeal that to reverse it. And uh, now, thankfully, um, and and they said that ex- Obama's executive order enacting DACA. Was was not unconstitutional, so it's fine for Obama to implement it, but yeah, not for Trump to use an executive order to implement it. But you cannot use you an cannot executive get rid order of it. Overturn it. Executive orders are constitutionally no backsies, and uh, and so Donald Trump, being the even keel man that we know him to be, who never overreacts to anything, uh, of course, was very even-handed in his uh, response, where he said, the recent Supreme Court decisions not only on DACA, sanctuary cities, census, and others tell you only one thing. We need new justices of the Supreme Court if the radical left Democrats I appointed assumed power, your Second Amendment right to life, secure borders, and religious liberty, among many other things, are over and gone. If the two that I appointed keep voting differently than I wanted them to, then the far left Democrats have won. Right. This, of course, feeds into the fact that Donald Trump routinely appoints people to things and then says that they were terrible choices and horrible people who should never be trusted, which begs the question. Why do you have Donald Trump has a history of bringing people into his life uh, and uh, saying they're the greatest and then uh, and then saying that they were terrible 
and you know dogs and and you know you can't trust them and and they're terrible like 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 some of you ladies out there huh huh no um much anybody that's worked in the white house under trump has been the greatest has been the greatest and then the worst sometimes in the same week right sometimes scaramucci like scaramucci was perfect example he came in like a wrecking ball i love (laughs) anthony scaramucci i've been sober for many years now but if i wasn't i'd like to hang out with him because he was on something always he came in so hard everyone he got a you know that 15 minutes of fame that uh andy warhol talked about he got like a solid like short week of fame everyone (laughs) was talking about the mooch and then and now he's gone some say he's still with us, but don't know where. But he 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 I have came. No idea in. what Scaramucci's doing right now. I'm sure the, he's still the, alive, but no one knows what he's doing. But he came in. Everyone was talking about him for like five days, and he and just he couldn't fired. stop. And then he got fired. He was gone. And then he so got fired, and he, he went from he's the best guy. He's just he's just fantastic. Too. He's the worst. He's just absolutely terrible. He's yep. terrible. We got rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it was perfect. It was perfect. And uh, speaking of the Supreme Court pissing me off, the other stuff I wasn't all that worried about. This was what we expected. Honestly, it's what we expected to happen. We were hopeful it wouldn't, but I, you know, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I actually had high hopes. I had high hopes. Um, I. I figured with everything going on, maybe possibly they would they would take this up. But yeah, I know, I know. I it's like rooting for a third party, you know. You get high hopes. Um, you get high hopes. This time, though. Uh, this so yesterday, gonna... the court decided uh, whether or not it would grant a writ of certiorari. Certiorari. <laughs> on uh, Baxter versus Bracey. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, a writ of sir is basically when the appeals court or a party asks the Supreme Court to review uh, the appellate decision. Most of the time they deny it. Uh, and this isn't a holding other than uh, we aren't going... What? This isn't a holding other than... So what they're saying there is we're, we're just going to say whatever the lower court says. Okay. We're just going to go with that. Uh, As it was described to me by personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. um, This is like when kids, (laughs) this is like when kids are uh, bugging their parents for dessert or to play video games or whatever. And the parents go, no. And it goes back to like, then it just goes back. And then one of the kids shoots the other two. So this isn't, uh, it is, uh, so this Baxter versus Bracey, it's a case of, um, it was a Tennessee man who was attacked by a dog after surrendering surrendering to the police. So quick recap, uh, he wasn't in cuffs. Uh, He was sitting on the ground with his hands in the air. He had not been detained yet. Uh, I had previously said that he was in cuffs. I was wrong. But he had surrendered with his hands in the air. And so then instead, the police said, well, that's not enough. 
um, they sent the canine after him, and and he was mauled by the dog. And when and in the in the original uh, argument is they found a similar case, and somebody had been uh, arrested, but they surrendered beforehand, and they still got attacked by a dog, and that one was found to be um, excessive use of force. That person had lied down and put their hands out. And they said that that was the difference maker between excessive force and not excessive force. It's like literally the exact same case, but one person did this and one person did this. Right. How could a police officer had known that you can't stick the cop on someone surrendering like this just because they already knew you couldn't do it if they're like this? This is what qualified immunity is. And that's why, uh, you know, I was recently asked on... uh, on um on a call-in show with austin peterson he asked me he said you know don't you think it's great that donald trump is passing executive orders to stop police brutality and i said well if you look at the order all it did was give more training bad cops don't need training to not murder and otherwise maul and abuse people they just need to be held accountable for when they do or if they do which is a is a deterrent for them to do it in the first place. And it's also a deterrent for good cops to not step in and stop them because they can be held accountable too. And so I said, if Donald Trump was serious, he would be calling for everyone to uh, co-sponsor and vote for uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, Justin Amash's qual- Ending Qualified Immunity Act so he can sign it and make it the law as soon as possible. Yep. But he didn't. So... Mm-hmm. So the court, even with all that's going on in the world with protests around the country, around the world, actually, around the world. Right. That it, it, are, it's expanded everywhere. Yeah, this is the entire world is saying enough already to this, that, that, that the people who presume authority over us and are putting people in charge of telling us what to do need to have some basic. We need to have basic protections against over abuse and use of force against us. And despite all of that, they denied the writ of certiorari. Uh, and this means that there is no argument in support of the decision. But if anyone wishes, they can write a dissent. Isn't that right, Matt? That's right. It's sort of like when, you know, you ask your parents for something and they say no. You can argue if you want. But yes. it doesn't mean anything. Um, Clarence Thomas took this opportunity and wrote a dissent on the decision, which um, probably the best writ of 30 30- Certain man, certiorari, certiorari. I have ever read. Oddly enough, possibly the only. Um, Justice gave the history going into much more depth than we did a couple of weeks ago on our show of qualified immunity. So, based on his, his descent of the decision, uh, we go back immediately to the Civil War uh, when the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were ratified in order to ensure there was no abuse against certain individual rights read into that whatever you will yep uh and he wrote armed with its new enforcement powers congress sought to respond to the reign of terror imposed by the clan upon black citizens and their white sympathizers in the southern states congress passed a statute variously known as the ku klux act of 1871 the civil rights act of 1871 and the enforcement act of 1871 um, section one now codified as amendment, whatever, provided that 
uh, any person who under color of any law, statute, ordinance, regulation, custom, or usage of any state shall subject or cause to be subjected any person within the jurisdiction of the United States to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured by the Constitution of the United States shall be liable to the party injured in any action at law, suit, in equity, or other proper proceeding for redress. Or in today's terms, it states that individuals have a right to sue state officers, so politicians, police, government officials, for damages when their rights have been violated. Right. And there's no mention of defense or immunities or qualification of immunities, uh, as Thomas says, applies categorically to the deprivation of constitutional rights under color of state law. So it had nothing to do... These things that were introduced later... Well, I'm going to let Matt talk about it. So for the first century of this law, no immunity. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I get really excited when Chris Reynolds gets excited about like the legal stuff. I don't know. That's the most exciting part of the show. It is the most exciting part of the show for Chris. Um, For the first century of this law, no immunity was recognized under this law and, in fact, rejected that the plaintiff must prove malice to recover. In the 1950s, this court began to ask whether the common law in 1871 would have accorded immunity to an officer for a tort analogous to the plaintiff's claim under Section 1983. The court for example, recognized absolute immunity for legislators because it concluded Congress had not impinged on a tradition of legislative immunity so well grounded in history and reason by covert inclusion in the general language. The court also extended a qualified defense of good faith and probable cause to police officers sued for unconstitutional unconstitutional arrest and detention. The court derived this defense from the background of tort liability. 1951, 1967. Hmm. I wonder what was going on that would have led to lots of police officers and people in government abusing people's rights in the 1950s and 1960s. Probably nothing. (laughs) That's not a funny joke, but man, that's a funny joke. I'm sure it was just a coincidence that in the 1950s and 1960s, the federal government started telling state officials mostly that they could do whatever they wanted to anyone in particular. That's awful coincidental and probably has no other context behind why that would be happening in the 1950s and 1960s. Matt? John Hurtley says damned rock music. That was definitely to combat rock rock music. That's right. Elvis Presley. Little Richard ruined everything. Elvis Presley did all of this. Um, this is all. Elvis, Elvis did qualified immunity. Right. Um, in Shure vs. Rhodes, uh, without considering the common law, the court remanded for the application of qualified immunity doctrine to state executive officials, National Guard members, and 
A university president. A university president. I wonder what was happening in the 1970s with the National Guard and university presidents that could have potentially led, for example, in Kent State to... I was wondering maybe some people might not get the reference. Uh, I was like, I'm pretty certain our audience gets that reference. I'm hoping... I would hope most of you would have gotten that reference. But this is... And and I want government I want abusing people and the and the and the Supreme Court stepping in and going, that's all right. All right. And I want everybody to know the way this is worded is not university presidents. It is a university president. So I could, just the one. Like, yeah, I I copied and pasted that list of people just so I made sure it was correct. So not the other ones. I'm certain now that there's precedent they are, but in this particular case, it was, it was the one. just that one. Right. It was just that one. So now they were handing it out to almost anybody who requested it. Now qualified immunity was going everywhere. They were just handing it out like Oprah at her show. You, oh, I should have made a thing. You get a qualified immunity. You get an immunity. You get a qualified immunity. I didn't and everyone in the audience is shooting people. Right. Uh, It based the availability of immunity on practical considerations about the scope of discretion and responsibilities of the office and all the circumstances as they reasonably appeared at the time of the action on which liability is sought to be based rather than the liability of officers for God, I hate that word. Analogous. Thank you. Common law torts in 1871. The court soon dispensed entirely with context-specific analysis, extending qualified immunity to a hospital superintendent uh, sued for deprivation of the right to liberty. So instead of using the law as the standard of whether or not someone would get sued for abusing the rights of others, if they were a, a government official, instead they started saying, well, did they think it was reasonable? Right. Imagine you go into court, and I've said this many times on probably 15 podcasts and interviews and call-ins and everything. Imagine you go to court and you say, Your Honor, I know I've been charged with this horrific crime, but I think what I did was perfectly reasonable. And the judge goes, Oh, well, then charge is dismissed. That's qualified right. immunity. That's That's literally what this is. That's why we're so fired. If you've never heard of qualified immunity before and you see all these like libertarians and Black Lives Matter activists and police uh, brutality activists and, you know, civil liberties activists, and we're all going and qualified immunity. And you're like, okay, what is it? That's why we're this worked up about it. Right. I mean, we're edgy in general, but that's why we're specifically worked up about this is because it is why bad police do what they want. And it's why police that don't want to do that just kind of stand back and let it happen because they know no one's going to be held accountable for it. Even civilly, no one is going to be held accountable for it. So ending qualified immunity deters bad policing and it holds bad police accountable and it incentivizes good policing. If for no other reason that you're out there and you're going, hey, Mark, Don't kneel on that guy's neck. And he goes, well, I want to. And you go, well, 
I'm also here as a police officer, and if I don't stop Mark from slowly murdering this man, I can be held liable too, because I don't have qualified immunity. So I'm going to have to treat this officer the same way I'd treat anyone else if I saw them kneeling on someone's neck in a non-defensive way, which is what we want. We want the police to be treating other police the same way they'd treat you and me. Hey, you're harming someone. You better stop. And if you don't stop, I'm going to have to arrest you because that's my job, to arrest people that do harmful things to each other. That's what ending qualified immunity gets us, is allowing for good police to be incentivized to do their job. So as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, uh, in Harlow versus Fitzgerald, 1982, the court eliminated from the qualified immunity inquiry any subjective analysis of good faith to facilitate summary judgment and avoid the substantial costs that attended the litigation of subjective intent. This is where we came up with the test, where uh, the two-pronged test of did they mean any harm by it? Did they know that it was wrong? I can't remember what the two are off the top of my head. Right, right, right. right. Um, but that is where we get this test from. It's the substan- avoid the substantial costs that attend the litigation. Of Basically, murdering someone. Right, of murdering somebody. Basically, it's insurance, uh, not insurance company, car, car companies where they are trying to figure out does the cost of a recall outweigh the cost of all the lawsuits? Does firing this guy outweigh the cost of what we might have to pay? Exactly. Cost-benefit analysis in police departments right now is it costs more to fight the police unions than to just let the guy keep killing people in the streets. If you right. end qualified immunity, that flips around. That inverts. Now it costs way more to keep that bad cop on the streets than it does to fight the police unions and get rid of them. Now, police unions, whole other problem to deal with, but even before that, just any qualified immunity, not only does it make the ba- the, the, the good cops stop the bad cops because they don't want to get sued, but the police departments themselves are looking at this and going, it's going to cost a fortune keeping this guy around. We got to get rid of him. The first time they do something, far before murder because if you look, Derek Chauvin, who murdered George Floyd, 17 previous counts. What do you want to bet they weren't all murder? There was one that was murder, but there were other ones that were, you know, he beat someone up or he held them too long or he, you know, whatever. He was doing stuff and over time he became emboldened because he found out I'm a cop and there's no I, immunity. I have full immunity. I can do whatever I want. There was, um, oh God, what was that guy's name? We showed the video a couple of weeks ago, and then it was in the intro last week. Um, he was a cop out of L.A., and he was beating a suspect that was in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wailing on this guy. He but, already had him in handcuffs, and he just yeah. starts beating him. Yeah, it was the uh, Zoe. Uh, Zuri. Zuri. Uh, yeah, Zuri Davis. Talk. Yeah, she had it on hers. Right. He had had some, some uh, wrongful death uh, allegations against him. Right. But he had he, qualified immunity. He was the guy who shot somebody in his front yard, right? Yep. Shot someone yeah. in their front yard who was like having an argument with his family and he didn't speak English. Right. And that wasn't acceptable. 
he also he also shot a guy who had absolutely nothing to do with it. He was just outside. Yeah, there was. Yeah. So he shot someone who was recording it and then tried to uh, arrest him for having like a, a uh, like a water gun or some ridiculous thing. Right. And said it was a weapon. Have, right. And he didn't have it on him. And he ended up getting those charges dropped if he wouldn't sue. Yeah, he wouldn't. He didn't have it on him. It was in his house. So he was told to uh, uh, to, to to leave. And so the guy left and he shot at him. And then when it followed him into his house and arrested him for uh, uh, for having a, a weapon and assaulting an officer, he yes. walked from the officer after getting shot at and had a like squirt gun in his house. This is what qualified immunity brings you. It brings you terrible police officers and and police departments who go. It's not worth getting rid of them. It's going to cost way more to fight the unions, and it, it's not costing any, us anything to keep them. And it, and the, the the good cops that are there say, I'm not going to upset the apple cart. I know that nothing's going to change anyway, and I'm not going to be held liable for it. In fact, I have much more problems if I try to stop this guy. Whereas yeah. if you if you remove Frank the immunity, Hernandez, sorry, Frank Hernandez is the cop. Thank you to Periscope user K R K A S P. What was his name? K R Frank Hernandez. Yeah, 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 yeah. And thank you for the. Uh, 33 super hearts from KRKASP. Yes. Now we have to find out what that means. I don't know what that means. I'm excited though. Thank you very much for the 33 super hearts. We should probably know what those are. Yeah. If you want to tell us what you just did, I would, we'd appreciate it. We we would appreciate it to stop us from having to research it. Um, this is not the first time Clarence Thomas has voiced his opinion to qualified immunity. Um, he has said in the past, our analysis is no longer grounded in the common law backdrop. No, I was like, wait, is that it? (laughs) Um, our analysis is no longer grounded in the common law backdrop, which the Congress enact, which Congress enacted, uh, the 1871 act. Yep. So from the time of 1871 up until the 80s there was no case where they were held liable to the so-called clearly established law test they were supposed to be grounded in. Yep. Nope, they were given a one size fits all approach to every case when it comes to these cases granting immunity blindly to the offenders. Now, that's what they have now. For the that's first 110 years uh, 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 and, and even before that, I mean, for the first at least a hundred years, if you violated someone's constitutional rights, and there wasn't any, they, they they couldn't find any reasonable reason based on common law that you would have to do such a thing, you were held accountable. Then, it coincidentally around the time that police started brutalizing and government officials started brutalizing civil rights protesters and anti-war protesters, all of a sudden, the police had immunity. And that immunity has been strengthened with each new decision, with the most recent one being in 2001, where they said, even if you can't possibly say that this was reasonable, and even if we already have precedent in your uh, your jurisdiction of that of a similar thing, it has to be exactly like it or we're still going to give you qualified immunity i wonder what happened in 2001 that would have led to more police brutality moving forward 
Well, it would have been what happened in 2000 or before. No, but the justification for it. That still wouldn't make sense because it would have come out in June. They knew. So I'm going to let you sit in that one for a second. (laughs) (laughs) So. I mean, we could just keep going. Yeah, we could. Um, (laughs) They knew. They knew. So so obviously uh, Clarence Thomas, not a fan of qualified immunity. Absolutely wants to readdress it and actually put some guidelines on it and saying you we need to do this. We can't do this. Like whatever. Not a huge fan of the guy, but if he's going, if he wants rulings like this, I am supporting him on this ruling. On on this subject, he seems pretty pitch perfect about it. I mean, he gets it. He gets that. The Congress was very clear, not just is it the right thing to do, but again, we were, you know, our, our previous thing that we talked about the court decision, they were very clear on the transgender thing on with, with the Civil Rights Act. Instead of deciding and trying to legislate, they just looked at the law and said, how can we interpret this? If you read the Civil Rights Act of 1871, it doesn't say anything about immunity. If you look at the precedent up until the, the uh, court started legislating from the bench, it done, there was no reference to immunity. It wasn't applied with any kind of immunity. There was no idea of, of uh, you know, a, a objective, which they call it objective, but it's actually subjective uh, determination from the officers whether or not what they did was reasonable. There was none of that. That's all been added by courts looking to cover for abusive government officials and police. That's all it is. And so he's 100% right on this. Yes. Not only was he 100% right on that. Hang on a second. I got to refill. We should have some like, we should, because especially once you start drinking the black coffee, um, we should probably have some like music for when you're refilling your beverage. We just play like, like some, some music. If you think I'm drinking black coffee at nine o'clock at night, you're insane. Well, you got to do it the one time. (sighs) That'd be fun. Um, It'd be like the Matt Tacular. That's going to be a good time. But yeah, not the only time he was wrong. That Not the only time he was 100% correct this week. Yep. Another case, which Chris Reynolds earlier said they only take 1% to 2% of the cases that come up, and they can't take them all. So you can't really get mad about the ones that they choose. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you um, can. I yeah, get you mad can. about whatever I want. <laughs> right. I absolutely can. Don't tell me what to get uh, mad about. I'm mad about the other 98% too. <laughs> Just don't have time for it. Right. I didn't look into those, so I can only get mad about Tell me what to be mad about. I can only get mad mad about about this now. Right. Um, In the case of Rogers versus Gruwell. 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 New Jersey has a requirement that any person seeking to get a handgun carry permit must first demonstrate to the satisfaction of the authorities of the state that he has justifiable need to carry a handgun. Here we go. Among other things, the applicant must specify in detail the urgent necessity for self-protection as evidence 
by specific threats or previous attacks, which demonstrate a special danger to the applicant's life that cannot be avoided by means other than by issuance of a permit to carry a handgun. Can you imagine if we made police do this? I mean, it wouldn't happen, but can you imagine? It absolutely wouldn't happen. It would never (laughs) happen. But can you imagine putting this on the government? Because according to the Federalist Papers, the purpose of the of the Second Amendment was that anything that the gov- government had in terms of arms, the people should also be able to have. So if the state of New Jersey is saying that this is the threshold for the citizens, for residents of New Jersey being allowed to get a handgun, then according to the founding intention of the Constitution, they also should have to meet this threshold to be able to get a handgun. And real quick, Chris Reynolds, he says we'd need another. Actually, he says we'd need a other thousand Supreme Courts to hear all the cases appealed to SCOTUS. And still mad, mad, still mad. We are not. Well, I can't speak for Spike. Still I am mad. not mad that they don't take all of them. I'm mad, I am at that, mad too. that they don't choose the ones I want them to. I'm mad about both those things, actually. So. <laughs> under the rules, generalized fears for personal safety are inadequate. So, so again, safety, not good enough. Not good enough to get a permit for a handgun. Generalized fears for personal safety are in- inadequate. That should be stamped on the foreheads. No, not even that. It should be the law For the police, again, imagine if the police were told that just generalized fears for personal safety weren't sufficient for them to carry a a weapon over the course of their duties. And now keep in mind that we travel the same streets they do, and unlike them, we don't have a badge on us, which means statistically we are far more likely to suffer from, you know, as as we're routinely told, you're much more likely to get murdered by some... By some guy than by a cop. Yeah, that's true. And and cops are even less likely to be murdered by anyone. Because their job is actually one of the safer ones. It's actually much more dangerous to be a pizza delivery driver. The thin brown crust. And the point of that is that they routinely tell us that the reason they have to keep carrying ever-growing militarized equipment is because of the fear that they experience just even being out amongst us. Even okay, being well, then why can't McDonald's we have it? What's that? Even the fear they experience in the McDonald's drive-thru. In the McDonald's drive-thru, and that's coming up. Going to be talking about that. Are we? Yeah, right. No, not the Wendy's drive-thru, the McDonald's drive-thru. Gosh, the McDonald's drive-thru was crying, crying Officer Stacy, who was afraid to take her McMuffin because she didn't see them make it, and she was afraid that they did something to it (laughs) i don't even remember that how long ago was that yesterday oh Uh, that's why yeah i I didn't even know that one so yeah yeah, i mean stacy shouldn't be able to use her handgun yeah send me that that's funny um cries a lot so thomas rogers uh who is suing gruel uh has a business operating uh on atms and wanted to carry a weapon with him for, for protection because he operates he works on ATMs. Yeah. In New Jersey. Right. Presumably including Newark. 
and other places. Pretty much anywhere in Jersey. I guess just anywhere in Jersey. And uh, shout out to New Jersey. Atlantic City. See, now I have to, I see now, see, this is the problem. Now, when I say things, I have to like worry about losing New Jersey, which is why I want to get rid of the Electoral College. So, Thomas Rogers, even though he works on ATMs in the public where someone who might want to rob that ATM would have a perfect opportunity to do so when there's someone there who can just open it and give them all the money in it. Even that didn't, and that's far more dangerous than being a cop, by the way, even that failed to meet the exacting standards of the state, not for themselves, but for the rest of us. That's right. So on Monday, the Supreme Court decided not to grant the writ of certiorari. Of course. I'm sure that's what Donald Trump was mad about. Yeah, that that was the one. It wasn't DACA. It was that. It was that. Certainly. Because this makes me want an angry rage tweet, which now I actually get to angry rage tweet and lots of people see it. I'm going to actually angry rage tweet about the fact that Chris Reynolds says there, there are things I'm not allowed to get upset about. Well, now he's mad that we're both so wrong. So... So Clarence I mean, that kind of makes me feel better. Yeah. Clarence Thomas wrote the dissent along with Brett Kavanaugh. The text of the Second Amendment protects the right of the people to keep and bear arms. We have stated that this fundamental right is necessary to our system of ordered liberty. Yet in several jurisdictions throughout the country, law-abiding citizens have been barred from exercising the fundamental right to bear arms because they cannot show that they have a justifiable need or good reason for doing so. One would think that such an onerous burden on a fundamental right would warrant this court's review. This court would almost certainly review the constitutionality of a law requiring citizens to establish a justifiable need before exercising their free speech rights, and it seems highly unlikely that the court would allow a state to enforce a law requiring a woman to provide a justifiable need before seeking an abortion. But today, faced with a petition challenging just such a restriction on citizens' Second Amendment rights, the court simply looks the other way. This was a pretty sick burn. Yeah, I was going to say... One little wordy, but and tough to get through without stumbling. But right. yeah, that, that's like the Supreme Court equivalent of a mic drop, I feel. Yeah, no, it was pretty rough. And I mean, this is, by the way, why you need to vote for Joe Jorgensen and me. Because in the White House, we will use the Department of Justice as a Department of Actual Justice. And among many other things, one of the things that we will do is tie cooperation between federal and state law enforcement agencies with requiring them to not violate the constitutional rights through their legislative and executive actions. One of those would be gun laws. And now you see how the White House can get rid of gun laws at the state level without even including the legislature, or at least stop them from being enforced in any effective way. Right. Go ahead. Now, according to Thomas... The case would have been an opportunity to restrict the ability of these states to infringing on the Second Amendment. Right. They also would have been able to cover open carry and decide the constitutionality of justifiable need restrictions on the right to carry, but they did not take it. They did not take it. They threw it out the window. And as Clarence Thomas, today the great Clarence Thomas says... (laughs) Today. Today. 
Today, faced with a petition challenging such a restriction on citizens' Second Amendment rights, the court simply looks the other way. Yep. No, it's, so, it is incredible. So had Heller, Heller versus D.C. for anybody mm-hmm. out there. Heller versus D.C., yeah. For anybody who didn't know. Had Heller given more of a precise standard on evaluating Second Amendment claims, this wouldn't be an issue. But instead of laying out a general roadmap, they just kind of said, eh, general freight, we're just going to let the lower courts kind of decide. In the comments, Ike Sanchez, needing a license to carry a gun is an infringement on its own. Exactly. Yes. Just even you having to go to the government and say, May I please be allowed to exercise what I was told specifically is my Second Amendment right to keep and bear whatever arm I wish without any infringement, please? That alone is an infringement on that. To put any kind of requirement is a, just a further infringement. And to have the requirement be essentially that unless you are proving that someone's trying to kill you, that you're not going to get one is just an outright violation of it. It it mutes it. Uh, uh, you can keep and bear whatever arms you want unless we decide that you are in immediate danger. Raise your hand if you've ever been in immediate danger and had the opportunity to fill out multiple forms and mail them in, get them notarized. No? Okay. So instead, what states have been left with and what courts have been left with is a two-step inquiry incorporating tiers of scrutiny on a sliding scale. Yep. Courts first ask whether the challenge law burdens conduct protected by the Second Amendment. And then, if so, it proceeds to the second step, determining the appropriate level of scrutiny. Which is just completely arbitrary. Right. Uh, to do so, courts generally consider how close the law comes to the core of the Second Amendment right and the severity of the law's burden on the right. I'm not sure if Seth Thomas Benton has a question or if he's high-fiving us. He's high-fiving. <laughs> okay. I was like, is he raising his hand? I don't I don't know what he's doing. Oh, maybe he is. This isn't, he, it's like when we're on Zoom. Right. If you have a yeah. question, you really don't have to raise your hand. You can just put it out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, like, you know, like Spike said, test is completely arbitrary depending on the court that it goes through. If you're going through the Ninth Circuit, if you're going through the Southern District of New York, depending on where you're going through will depend on what scrutiny these laws get. Had the Supreme Court done their job with Heller, which they didn't. They there did not. Least, yeah, there would be at least be a general framework that they should be following. But they did not have the foresight that this would be that this would be taken advantage of. And Rogers versus Greenwall would have been an opportunity. <sighs> would have been an opportunity to rectify everything. But even Thomas, in his own words, states. This case gives us an opportunity to provide lower courts with much needed guidance, ensure adherence to our precedents, and resolve a circuit split. Each of these reasons is independently sufficient to grant certiorari. Certiorari. 
in combination, they unequivocally demonstrate that this case warrants our review. Rather than prolonging our decade-long failure to protect the Second Amendment, I would grant this petition. Oh, our decade-long failure to protect the Second Amendment. Ouch. This is a sassy Thomas. Sassy Clarence. Sassy Clarence. Caddy Clarence. Caddy Clarence. Our de- I mean, he's not wrong. Our decade-long failure to protect the Second Amendment and instead faced with a petition challenging such a restriction on citizens' Second Amendment rights, the court simply looks the other way. This is someone who is not pleased, Matt. Yes, he is definitely not pleased. He is not happy, and he... Uh... And he's telling us. So, again, not the biggest writer, this guy. Not the biggest question asker either. And apparently, according to personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, he falls asleep sometimes. Um, Let the man sleep. Let the man sleep. He's, He's a busy man. If this uh, is what is if this is what nap time gets us for him from him, then he can have all the naps he needs. Twenty years worth of naps got him here. It's working. Let the man have his nap time, and if he keeps putting out quality stuff like this, then I'll change my thing about you know replacing the Supreme Court with uh, Reginald, and I'll just replace it with him. I mean, he's got he's got a long way to go for that, but. Craig DaCosta, thank you. It's Sershiarari. Sershi Oh. Sershi How do you say gruel? That's a name. That's really up to the person. Also, Vanessa Fuller, thank you for tuning in. First time. First time researching the party. Excited to support us. Thank I'm you. I'm assuming it's you, but you know, I'm I'm taking it. Guy on left. <laughs> You're guy on right, so. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're a guy on left and I'm Spike Cohen. And you... Not, a, not according the to the person who gave us those nicknames. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you were guy on right. He kept saying guy on right when you let guy on left talk. And you are the power. Um, um, so, yeah. So, no, that's... I mean, hopefully we get more great stuff from Clarence Thomas, but it's so rare for us to get great stuff. And sometimes we're left without any great stuff. And speaking of which, this is usually the time for the personal injury attorney, Chris Reynolds, attorney at law anchor Colin moment. But actually, hang on a second. I was just reminded of something that I have kept from our dear friend, Ross Keenum, who is watching on YouTube. He emailed us. And I had forgotten because it's Saturday. Well, now Uh, I'm marginally less angry. Well, yeah. Uh, So he said, Matt, I've never tried Kava, but it's been on my radar for a while. Are there any brands you'd recommend? And how would you recommend a newbie prepare it? Spike, are you loyal to Kroger brand water? And do you ever venture into the world of exotic seltzers? I like a nice seltzer. I tend to like... I mean, I am Jewish. No, I'm not loyal to Kroger. I just get Kroger because we can usually, we get these uh, things in the mail because we shop at Kroger so much and they give us like either free Kroger, free packs of Kroger water, uh, again, Jewish, 
or uh, a dollar off or whatever, and they're already cheap. So I just get a lot of these. But we also, I have, I often uh, do Le Bleu water, which is both kosher and made in America, just like me. And uh, I do uh, the Costco water, like Costco water. And yeah, I do like a nice seltzer. I haven't been drinking seltzer a lot recently, but I, I do like seltzer. And then I'll like. I didn't, I, I didn't get into seltzer until I quit drinking alcohol. And mm. now a nice seltzer with some lime in it. I, it's very refreshing. Big there are fan. a lot of like former like reformed winos who say they'll drink seltzer with like you know some fruit or something in it, and kind of get a similar because because it, it's not even the you know the high that they miss as much as just the you know that tang and the and the taste or whatever. So it has a similar. I mean, it's not the same as wine or or champagne, but it it can you can kind of trick yourself a little bit. And I and I did respond to him about the kava, but I'll tell anybody else out there because he asked okay. me about kava and what's uh, any brands I would recommend. Um, knock them all at home. Uh, that's n a k a m a l a t h o m e dot com. Uh, knock them all at home is where I buy all of my kava powder from. Uh, they have a lot of different types that you can pick up. Uh, they are not a sponsor of the show yet. Um, working on it. But, they should uh, be. They should be. But they um, they have a lot of different types that you can get. My personal favorite is the white sand, uh, also known as like a mind kava. Uh, kind of helps with creativity and clearing out the cobwebs up there. Uh, oh, I thought you meant mind like they mind it. No. No, it's a root. It's like a mind kava. Mind um so that is my personal favorite he also asked how to make it if you follow the directions that come with it it it's good um and if anybody does go to knock them all at home just say that matt from muddied waters sent you uh and uh hopefully they will be more inclined to sponsor us yeah really because that would be nice to have another another sponsor for that um well good so that's that's a short segment right the christmas which is fine because Chris Reynolds attorney at law anchor Colin moment received no Collins, but we did get an email. We got an email in that's nice, but we didn't even get anything from the laser legend or the space pony, but whatever, whatever's fine. I don't even care. Um, speaking of disappointments, John Bolton famed murderer and former white house national security advisor, John Bolton. He, uh, he had a little bit of a kerfuffle this week, didn't he, Matt? He, he did have a little bit of a kerfuffle. Um, found, himself in a, <laughs> found himself in a bit of a legal battle with the Trump administration over his new book, The Room Where It Happened. <laughs> the Room Where It Happened. Obviously a ripped off line from the famous play Hamilton. And looking like it stars Jennifer Love Hewitt, Lauren, uh, Ryan Philippe, and Sarah Michelle Geller, and um, John Bolton, and John Bolton, of course. This is the book cover, by the way. If that's the book cover, I would buy it. I would one hundred percent buy that book. <laughs> a, that a, book a rare miss from whatever publisher uh, published this book. What a great opportunity to sell way more books. If if our our fans over in Ireland are questioning whether that's real or not. It's not. It's definitely uh, real. That is, that is, this is on all the bookshelves right now. 
God, I hope that's on all the available books. on Kindle. <laughs> available on Audible, read by John Bolton. Read by John uh, Bolton himself. <laughs> with a with a <laughs> I was <laughs> with a foreword by Donald Trump. With a foreword. Uh, <laughs> that I would get that. That would, would be a I would, good. I would get that to get the forward by Donald Trump before reading about to get all the, the for... stuff that Donald it's Trump may, or may book. not have done. It's the stupidest book. What a loser! And then you have him come on. Oh man, sorry. Go ahead. So after the week long battle, uh, U.S. District Judge U.S. Dic- District Judge Roy Lamberth, a Reagan appointee, allowed it to come out. Allowed what to come out? The book. The book. So they were trying to keep the book from coming out? Yeah, they were saying that it violated uh, NDAs and uh, security. Oh, those Trump NDAs that even if you volunteer for him, you have to like sign this thing saying you'll never say anything bad about him or some ridiculous thing? I'm so, it's probably more of a governmental NDA. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. Work National Security Advisor to the White House. Okay, so then, uh, according to Jennifer Slesley of the New York Times, she's probably going to end up like interviewing me and not and not in a friendly way after that. The book Caitlin is below. Real quick, Caitlin Carnahan, welcome to uh, the show. New to libertarianism. Glad glad you are here. Yeah, glad thank you for joining us. Glad you are here and joining us. Yes, thank you. Now, now watch as I butcher this poor woman's name. According to Jennifer Zale, is it Jisala? I think it's just Jala or July. July. Of the New York Times, the book is bloated with self-importance, even though what it mostly recounts is Bolton not being able to accomplish very much. It toggles between two discordant registers exceedingly tedious and slightly unhinged and now i believe that this cover is more perfect than ever for this book yeah basically based on that it's john bolton in a book in a book both exceedingly tedious, exceedingly tedious unhinged. and just a little unhinged that is the foreign policy of john, of john bolton. bolton just really really like unnecessarily detailed and also insane at the same time. It's like OCD if it was a person. Yes. But like malignant, obsessive-compulsive personality disorder if it were a person. If it were a person. Only with that kind of imbalance in affect and and presentation could someone in the 2020s have that mustache (laughs) which does nothing for his face that's what matters here the only thing i can think is he has like a scar that he's covering that's it that's all i got a scar would be markedly better than this Agreed. A, scar, a scar would be much. I'd look Agreed. and say, "Oh and, man, and he looks." Unless tough. you're Wilford Brimley, don't do that. Is Wilford? Oh Brimley wow, still he's alive? ripping off Wilford know. Brimley. Yeah, I don't know if Wilford Brimley's still alive. He might be. He is alive. He's still alive. Okay. 
Yeah, I haven't seen a diabetes commercial in a while. I mean, now everyone knows where to get it. It was so effective. Everyone knows to go to Liberty Medical. So they don't need to spend the money anymore. What? So according to John Bolton, Trump's talks with President... Hey, Matt, what did John Bolton say about Trump and China? Uh, According to John Bolton, Trump's talks with famed Winnie the Pooh impersonator, President Xi, Xi, were transactional. During trade talks, Trump turned the conversation into the coming U.S. presidential election, alluding to China's economic capability to affect the ongoing campaigns, pleading with Xi to ensure he'd win. Are you telling me that Donald Trump is transactional in his conversations with people in tremendous positions of power? That Well, I'm not saying that. John I refuse that. to believe... This man, John, Bol- John Bolton, is saying that I am. I not refuse to that. believe this man's mustache or the person attached to it when he says that Donald Trump is meeting with officials and trying to leverage it for his own personal gain. How right. dare you, How dare Jennifer you? Love Hewitt, Ryan <laughs> Felipe, and Sarah Michelle Geller, and also. Oh, I forget. No, I'm not looking at his face now because I replaced it. Now I can't remember his name. Um, Wilford Brimley? No. John Bob. Uh, oh, uh, who is that? Is that Freddie Prince? Yes. Freddie Prince. Freddie Prince Freddie Jr. Prince. Freddie Prince Jr. Um, <laughs> Bolton also writes. I would print Trump's exact words, but the government pre-publication review process has decided otherwise. So he's not allowed to say what Trump allegedly said on these calls because the government will not let him. Also, real quick, there was an article in the Washington Times. um, And I don't remember who said it because I didn't put it in the notes, but it had the greatest phrase I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Yes. John Bolton's. John Bolton's new book is the equivalent of deep state revenge porn. And the fact that I know that phrase now and it is in my head forever brings me so much joy. Deep state revenge porn. Yeah, it was it was a uh, deep. No, deep swamp revenge porn. Oh, deep swamp. Revenge deep porn. swamp yeah, right. revenge porn. That is what this is about yes um, it's a it's a deep swamp revenge soft porn featuring freddie prince jr and ryan felipe and john bolton so you can imagine what that would look like um oh i should probably i can probably take that off now um so yes yeah, so uh bolton states that trump had no idea the uk was a nuclear power and he did not Know that Finland was not a part of Russia. Dear Lord. (laughs) You know what's sad? Like, all of this stuff, I believe. It's all... Like, I was like, there is no way that's true. But then again, this is the president who forgot that the Kansas City Chiefs didn't come from Kansas. Yeah, that's also true. 
This is a man who thought he could just take a Sharpie and add it to a, a cone of uncertainty for a, a hurricane to prove that he had... What what a weird flex. He mistakenly a put a state that was reasonably nearby that any person could have thought Alabama was also in its crosshairs. And instead of just go, oh, I accidentally put Alabama, he went and like added this stupid thing to the end with a Sharpie on this. And see, look, it's here. Even though that was never on... Nowhere else was that was that even there and and nor would that be what it would look like because each circle is bigger than the ones before it and this was just some little thing he added on the side <laughs> like this is the kind of man so yeah no i i'm not surprised to hear that he didn't know that the uk was a nuclear power or that so, finland was not a part of russia so bolton being reasonably intelligent he put the chapter on Ukraine last in order to make sure people would read all the way to the end. Um, but in Smart. it, Bolton declines to offer, and this is according to Jennifer Jalai, uh, declines to offer anything comparatively vivid in his own book, taking cover in what he depicts as his own bewilderment. So instead of saying, hey, this isn't right, hey, this is wrong, he sat back, mouth agape, making his mustache stretch further down, I guess. Um, are you are you describing the deep swamp revenge porn as it played uh, out? Yeah. And Mouth just could not believe that Donald Trump would do this. Why would he not believe that? I don't know. I haven't read the book. Um, <laughs> you too will find out why, why he didn't <laughs> think so when you get the room where it happened. The room where it happened. Sponsored um, by, uh, published by, is that like, who's published? I want to know who the publisher is. Anyway, go ahead. Um, while Bolton allegedly found Trump's conduct deeply disturbing, it was the Democratic-controlled House that was guilty of impeachment malpractice, meaning he's playing both sides of the coin here. Like oh, he's, wow. He's playing both sides of the field. Um this is like a heads I win, tails you lose situation for him. Instead of a comprehensive investigation, they seemed more uh, they seemed governed more by their own political imperatives to move swiftly to vote on articles of impeachment. He I mean, he's kind say, of not wrong. He's not wrong. He says that they should have broadened their inquiry to include uh, Hulk Bank, which is the Turkish bank that President Ermagerd, uh was involved with. <laughs> And uh, ZTE, the Chinese telecom company that President Winnie the Pooh impersonator G. Uh, President Ermagerd. Ermagerd. Uh, Bolton's and <laughs> Bolton's book might actually be factual. It might be factual all the way to the last detail. Right. But. This is a man who never, ever went to Congress about the issues that he had. He never said, hey, he's doing this with Hawk Bank, or he's doing this with ZTE, or he did this with Ukraine. Like, he never said anything, even under subpoena, which he was then told he couldn't. Like He could have gone to them outside of the subpoena. He could have gone if he, he actually He could have just told went. them. Right. Yeah. He, could have, he could have done this, but he chose not to. Now... 
the most eye-opening statement that he states in this book, the real turning point for him in the administration is also the one that makes me kind of doubt that uh, much of this is true. Um, or it is true, and he's just doing it for a quick buck. Um, I mean, this honestly, I could see this really pissing him off. I, well, yes, obviously. Uh, like all the, all the corruption and idiocy I saw, yeah, he's I makes, I'll just make totally. peace with that. But this, how dare this, you, sir? This pisses me off. This, this, is, angers this is why me. I'm going to write an entire book. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm writing a book now. I'm going to write an entire book. Because well, they tell you in a journal when you're mad, journal. So he journaled, and now it's His, being published by Simon & Schuster. Yes. Um, the thing that really pissed him off had to do with the attack on Iran that to Bolton's abject disappointment did not happen. In June 2019, last June, June, we we talked about this on the, we talked about this on the, yeah, we talked about this. We talked about this quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, Iran had shot down an unmanned American drone and Bolton, who has always championed what he proudly called disproportionate response, urged Trump to bomb Iran as he wanted to since the 80s. But, actually, Bolton, in the book, Bolton describes going home to pick up an extra set of clothes because he knew it was going to be a long night at the White House and then talks about how sad he was because at 5.30 when he showed up, he was shocked to find out that Trump decided to call off the strikes at the very last minute, learning it would kill as many as 150 people. Because, credit to Trump, they shot credit. down a robot Yep, that was possibly, probably, over their airspace. Or at, mm-hmm. ver- at the very least, really, really, really close to it. Really close. Like a matter of a couple miles. It was either two or three miles this way or two or three miles this way. And it was a robot and they knew it was a robot. And they were basically saying, hey, back off with your robots. And John Bolton wanted to launch a strike that would have killed dozens of people. And now, the thing is, when we, when, we, when we talk about war, you know, something like 150 doesn't sound like much because we're used to hearing about, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of killed in war. Just... Think for a moment about if Al-Qaeda or ISIS killed 150 people in the United States. Or if a foreign military attacked and killed 150 people in the U.S. That's what John Bolton wanted over them shooting down a robot that was probably flying over their airspace. So so imagine you there's a drone flying like... 20 miles from the coast of New York or five miles, six miles, whatever from the coast of New York, it gets shot down. And so the Chinese military launches, uh, you know, a airstrike that kills 150 New Yorkers. That's what John Bolton wanted to start with Iran. To his credit, Trump did not do that. Now, I didn't even think about this, but, um, It says that Bolton describes going home at about 5.30 for a change of clothes because uh, he expected to be at the White House all night. I got 20 bucks. It was a onesie. I think he was thinking presidential sleepover. 
Oh, and like the oh, and there's like I bet he bought a. Do you think he got his own pillow? He, yeah, he 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 brought his Wilford Brimley bear, the one that looks like him, and brought a pillow, maybe maybe a robe, threw on the onesie. He was ready. Stuffed was dinosaur, so, Land Before Time dinosaur. And he wasn't actually upset about the saving 150 innocent lives. He was upset that he did not get his presidential sleepover. Oh, well, that makes sense. Well, that makes more sense. That makes a lot more sense. That actually makes sense. Because you get all worked up. I remember, you know, you're like, oh, I'm having a sleepover. And it's like, oh, no. Timmy's no. sick. Like, oh. Timmy's got cholera. I'm already. Yeah. <laughs> and so then your parents make like a pillow fort downstairs. But he didn't yeah. have that. No, he didn't get the pillow fort because he accidentally left his pillow at the White House. Oh, so then he gets there and he goes, okay, fine. And he leaves the pillow there. He goes home. He's yeah. like, well, at least I got my pillow. And then he didn't. And he, so he starts writing a book. Yeah. I mean, that makes this make a little, this puts a human touch to it. This is the kind of man, madman who wrote a book about another madman who is currently bunching like 20,000 people into a building together during a pandemic on a date that he had to have changed after scheduling it to be on Juneteenth in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the single greatest race massacre in American history has happened. That's what this whole story that we just spent, I think, like 40 minutes on was about. Basically, this is the story of two terrible individuals. And in the notes, I literally wrote, and now I'm pissed. I spent this long reading up about this story. I'm well, now angry. <laughs> I'm now angry. The one redeeming thing was that we got to use this. And then we got to talk about the pillow fort. Those yeah. alone made this somewhat redeemable. <laughs> Sean Bresnahan. Uh, Sean Bresnahan says they were going to make friendship bracelets, Bolt and Donnie forever, which... Well, and, and see, so we should have known that that wasn't going to happen because Donald Trump would never do that, so... Well, I mean, Donald Trump will say anything. It's just whether or not... Oh, no, he would have said he'd do that, but I would have known. If Donald Trump's like, yeah, I'm going to make friendship bracelets with you, I'm like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I'm not even going to bring my pillow. Right, because then you, it's in your car and it gets dirty and uh, you know, as a kid I didn't care, but now it that matters. It does. That that is, I that's when moving I always take the pillow, in, other, like in a bag at least. Yeah, yeah. You put it in a bag, and, and I'm not showing up to the White House with like a garbage bag with my pillow in it. Because then everyone's like, "Why'd you bring a garbage bag?" And I'm like, "It's got my pillow in it, loser." <laughs> so. Hopefully soon you won't have to show up with a pillow. You'll just be able to stay. I'll just live there. Well, I'll live in the Admiral's house, which is... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, no, know, you won't. It'll be on the property. It's the same property. Oh, so then I could just walk over with my pillow. Because yeah. it's right there. Yeah, it's right there. I mean, now you really got to vote for me. <laughs> so we're going to close on a on a pretty horrifying story and an infuriating story that you have possibly heard somewhat about, but maybe not all the details. 
And there's no good segue, which is why I'm doing this instead, because there's no humorous segue or even witty segue for this. It is an absolute... It's just more of the same. And we're out here... I shouldn't even say we're out here, because I've only gone to a couple things. There are people out there, day after day, demanding an end to this, and we just see it happening over and over again. In Atlanta... A man named Rayshard Brooks was killed by a police in a Wendy's drive-thru after, in a scuffle, he took the cop's taser, he tried to tase the cop, and then he ran away. Now, Rayshard Brooks, even if we get into the case that, you know, there probably was a better way to deal with him, fine. At that point, he had resisted arrest and tried to assault an officer with a less than lethal weapon. Then he ran away, rendering him no longer a threat. And if any of us shot him, shot someone running away from us, even after a scuffle or a fight, we'd be charged with homicide. Because that's how it works. You can only use deadly force if you feel if you have a reasonable you know, reason to believe that your life or bodily safety are in threat or are at risk. Someone running away is the opposite of that. They're leaving. They don't even want to be near you. And it took an impressive period of time for this next thing to happen. Matt? Garrett Rolfe and Devin Bronson were charged with felony murder for their role in the killing of Rayshard Brooks. Now, after uh, Garrett Rolfe was charged a couple of days ago, um, because Devin Bronson took two days, three days. Yeah, it was like three days later. That, That happened, I believe, yesterday. Okay. Um... Many members of, uh, after Garrett Rolfe was charged, many members of the Atlanta police uh, called out sick. Many people started calling it the blue flu or a sick out. Um, And according to the police union spokesman, Vince Champion, he says, this is not an organized thing. It's not a blue flu. It's not a strike. Funny because it sounds a lot like it. Sounds a lot like Uh, it. Yeah, it's nothing like that. What it actually is, is officers protesting that they've had enough and they don't want to deal with it any longer. Here is why I have a theory as to why he's saying it's not a strike. Georgia is a right to work state. I have a feeling Uh, that their particular, uh, and I I don't know this, but just the way he's being very defensive about what cops use, usually police unions are proud to talk about. I have a feeling that they don't have strike they don't have the the uh, permission or authority to strike under their collective bargaining agreement with the Atlanta Police Department or the I, I, the city of Atlanta. I have, I, have a, I have a strong feeling the way that he tried to shift it and go, oh, no, this is just spontaneous protesting. They probably aren't allowed to. That makes sense, actually. I, d- I was like, man, this sounds exactly like a strike. Why wouldn't you it just say it? It is a strike. That's why I'm saying when a bunch of people decide to protest by not going to work, that's called a strike. That's like the definition. I'm going to look up the definition of a strike. Strike. 
in an interview with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Champion did add that there are officers saying they are not going to leave the precinct unless to help another officer. Some are walking off and sitting in their personal vehicles. Yeah, this so sounds only come out to protect. Sounds like a strike. Officer. Sounds like a slowdown. Sounds like a sick out. Whatever you want to call it, that's what. That's yeah. what this sounds like. Here's the definition of strike. A refusal to work organized by a body of employees as a form of protest. So far, so good on this being a strike. Typically, in an attempt to gain a concession or concessions from their employer. I have to come to the conclusion after reading that this is a strike. This qualifies as a strike. This is literally a strike. Now, Atlanta PD... Also in agreement, this isn't a strike. They released a statement after Champion's comments. And they said that uh, claims that officers walking off the job were inaccurate. They said that this was not happening. Wow. After the, the police union spokesman says, this is not an organized thing. It's not a strike. It's nothing like that. It's officers protesting. He basically said, this is happening, but we're not calling it a strike. Right. And then AP, the, APD was like, no, nah, that's not happening. Not even happening. Not real. Not real. Uh, they didn't say that the department is experiencing a higher than usual number of call outs with the incoming shift. And <laughs> they have enough resources to maintain operations and remain able to respond to incidents. So they have enough people there. So here's a question that's not in the notes. Um, if they have enough people to respond to incidents, but they have a higher number of call-outs, couldn't they just get rid of that many people? Ooh, they told on themselves. Yes, they did. That just hit me, like, right now. Um, they have yeah. enough resources to maintain operations and remain able to respond to incidents, even though a higher-than-usual number of call-outs are happening. So in their total blatant lie, so here's the breakdown. Two cops murder a guy. They get arrested for it. The police are not really used to this new thing where they can get arrested for murder. And so some of them, so they strike. The police union, because they probably don't have the authority to strike, said, whoa, 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 whoa. this isn't a strike. It's just a refusal to work organized by a body of employees as a form of protest, typically in an attempt to gain a concession or concessions from their employer, but it's not a strike per se. And then in, in doing their Orwellian response, the uh, Atlanta police department claiming that's not even happening. They're not even, not even, they're not even refusing to work. They're totally working in doing so. They said that there's way more stuff happening right now. But then they also said, because they can't admit that they're not sufficient or, or, or that you know they aren't competent. Then they said, we have enough resources to maintain operations and remain able to respond to incidents. Well, then it sounds to me... Like you have too many people on the Like force. you have too many cops. Yeah. Or maybe you should only have some just this you know, sur- part-time surge police or something. I wonder what that might end up happening, how, how that admission could uh, could be uh, received in the police union that isn't striking. That isn't, yeah, the, the one that's that not, is not striking. striking right now. 
that also could be a threat to the union. Yeah. Ooh. That could be a threat to the union and having them say, yeah, we have enough to do it right now. Show up or you don't have to anymore. They're saying this isn't a strike. Those people don't work here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't a strike because anyone who's striking doesn't work here anymore. So what we actually, because this originally, this story was like much more outrageous in another way, but we might actually be seeing a sort of subtle PR war happening between the Atlanta Police Department and the police union. Or we're just overthinking this and these are a bunch of morons, which is equally possible. Fair. Actually probable. Probably 65-35 that it's two groups of morons who don't realize what they're saying. <laughs> but there's a good solid 35% chance that some cloak and dagger stuff's happening in the comment section here. Yeah, but the more I look multiple- at it, the more I think now they're just morons. Right. I was going to say there's multiple like levels to this. And I'm like, did they realize they were doing that when they wrote this or did they just write something and put it out? <laughs> write the thing. Everything's fine. Also, there's more stuff happening, but also we have we're fine and there's no strike and everything's fine. And then the union's like, this isn't a strike. We're just doing the Webster's dictionary definition of striking, but totally not a strike. Um, and it's not the blue flu. We're all just calling out sick and we're cops. Um, now, real quick, uh, yeah. for anybody who hasn't seen this video, I watched it. Did you you watch it? I did watch it. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have different opinions on yeah. Yeah. what happened in this video. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's a scuffle. You know, he takes the taser. You know, he fires the taser. I thought he actually got one of them. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but I thought he did. I, um, so it, I believe that it, it touched him, but it didn't actually shock him. Like it, it, yeah, it didn't actually do whatever it's called where, where, where there's an actual, um, conduction of electricity to the person. So I think it actually like hit them, but not in a way like it, you know, it hit like if it hit my collar or something and then he did it, it wouldn't actually conduct because it's not touching me or something. Oh God. Now we're going to get the, he showed his clavicle <laughs> anyway. Uh, you know, something like that, like. Right. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and people, you know, people on the Republican side or the pro cop side, I guess would be the better way to put that. Right. Um, you know, they're saying, you know, he resisted arrest. He, uh, he resisted arrest. He stole the taser. He attacked them and then he tried to run. So it's justifiable. Uh, and, Maybe not justifiable, but at least a lot more understanding than any of the other cases that you've seen. There, there is not. Yeah, this is not the same. So, like George Floyd, the guy just literally leaned on him and let right. him die, slow, like casually murdered him slowly while his hands were behind his back. And it turns out they might have possibly known each other, and this may have been a grudge thing. Like that's that's a totally different thing. Uh, uh, Eric Garner's killing where he's literally just saying this has to end and they choke him out, six of them. Tamir Rice where they just roll up on a kid with an obvious BB gun and, and gun him down. Like John Crawford where a guy with a freaking like obvious toy gun walking through Walmart gets blasted by uh, officers with, with uh, you know, with rifles. Um, this guy, is... Uh, what was his name? He was standing in his house and had a screwdriver and he was like mentally... Uh, disabled oh um 
remember his name, but they said put down the screwdriver and he like wasn't grasping what they were saying and they shot him. And they shot think. him. Uh yeah. Brianna Taylor, who was literally asleep in her in her house. Um Duncan Lemp, who was asleep in his house. I mean, yeah. these are examples of the police just being like, screw it, I'd rather kill him than have to deal with them. This was a case where and we could get into a whole discussion about if there are better ways to deal with potential DUIs, especially when they're not actually on the road. But the bottom line was it's still different in that they had him pull over to the side. They, they were, and, and I will say this from the body cam footage, they were polite to him. They said, yeah. Hey, please pull over, uh, please pull over. And then there was some conversation and they said, Hey, how about you get out of the car for us? Because you're obviously driving. And, Granted, they could have just given him a ride home, let him walk home, whatever. We like that's whole other levels, but they were at least polite to him throughout the process. And having gone through a number of DUI uh, checks, um, only failing one, um, <laughs> should have failed all of them. But uh, having only like they were nicer to him than I've ever been treated during those checkpoints. Okay. Uh, so I was, I was watching going, okay, this, they're actually treating him pretty well. They're treating, they're, they're doing what they should here. Um, and then when they went to arrest him, which I thought, okay, do you really need to do that? He was in a parking right. lot. Like and he was in his car and the car was running and it was in a drive through line and he was asleep, but told him pull over the side of the road. You could sleep, you could sleep it off here. And then he started talking which just teaches you should and and there's a lesson behind that but we'll keep going um and then that was when he started resisting and then everything accelerated from there now a lot of people on the pro cop side i don't want to say the right because it's different now yeah yeah yeah, everything's different uh, now but yeah the pro cop side yeah pro cop side they're saying you know this is not the same thing these people shouldn't be charged Maybe, maybe not. But do I think that a jury should make this decision? Yes. That's fair. I th- yeah, I think a jury should make this decision and it shouldn't just be left up to the DA. But what a lot of them are saying is that Paul Howard, the DA from Atlanta, is uh, having his accounting on the shooting brought into question. And many are saying that since he is up for reelection this year, he is looking to ensure his victory in Atlanta by throwing a cop under the bus. Even if that is a consideration, a political consideration, which by the way, that's how politics is supposed to work. That's how the democratic system in theory is supposed to work. If the people, if you know the people are going to want an outcome, you give them the outcome. Now, throw cops under the bus, they still killed someone who was running away. And they are trained, we're told, we, they are trained to deal with these types of situations. Although in my last episode with uh, Antonia Okafor-Cover and Tig Davis talking about self-protection and the police and the Second Amendment, uh, Tig explained to me that most police departments don't give ongoing training for free. And it's not mandatory. They can get it, but it's not mandatory. And if they want it, they have to pay for it. You scared yet? There are something like 2 million police officers roaming the country, most of whom are not getting ongoing training, and if they do want it, they have to pay for it out of their own pockets. They have guns, and they have a presumed authority to use them. 
You can't sue them if they think what they did was reasonable. They're not getting any training, though. They are getting lots of military equipment. So hopefully that makes you feel better. Right. They are getting tanks. Training, stretch the budget. Tanks, yes, they are getting tanks. They are getting tanks. There was something on, uh, I saw it on Twitter. I was going to include it, but I knew it was going to be a really long Some show. small town just got this freaking like mine resistant vehicle. Oh, okay. And and it's like, there's like a town the, population of 6,000 or something. Free. They got it for free. And they were, you know, why did we get it? Because someone else would have gotten it. What the hell are you going to do with this thing? Other than put it on parades. Hopefully right. that's all they do is roll yeah. it down on parades and scare everyone. Now, uh, Two things. One, Kelly K in the comments said, did you guys know he shot three times and the third bullet hit a vehicle in the drive-thru? Yes, I honestly thought I put that in here. Is that the, the officer that, that shot at him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, he shot three times. I, I really thought that I put that in here, but apparently I skipped it. Um, or I put it in when I had it in the original section and it didn't copy and paste over. So, um no, I was just going to, so uh, Monica Holcomb says, there should be a different way to deal with a drunk. His family said he asked to walk over to his sister's house who lived nearby. So this is a perfect example. In a more restorative justice type of situation, the way you would deal with that is you would say, hey, it looks like you shouldn't be driving. Why don't you pull over there and either, uh, and, and, and this might be the punishment. We'll tow your car and you have to pay for that. Or if the owner of this property is okay with you leaving your car there, then you can leave your car there and we'll take you somewhere. Or if it's right up the road, you can just go there and then come back and retrieve your car. And that way you're not on the road. And now this person doesn't have a a record, a a charge on their record. Uh, They have been stopped from driving drunk, which is necessary. They've been stopped from driving impaired, but they don't have something on their record that's going to put a a financial burden on their life and now make it so that it's harder for them to get ahead. And they might, you know, and now if if now their insurance costs too much because they have to get the special DUI insurance, um, I forget what it's called. Um, It's like a word. What's that? SR-22. SR-22 insurance. And that you, you know, and you can't afford it. So now you can't drive and you might lose your job as a result of it. Or if you have a job or if you have a charge like that on your record, you lose your job, which is going to drive you to drink more. Instead of doing this, like, punish people just for the sake of it way of looking at things. Instead, be more restorative about it. Hey, you shouldn't be driving. Why don't you put your car over there and then you can go home? Or, hey, you know what? We're going to have to make you pay for your car to be towed because you shouldn't be driving right now and the property owner doesn't want your car here. So it's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks, but we're not going to ruin your life. But maybe you shouldn't drive drunk anymore because, you know, it's just cost you a couple hundred bucks or 300 bucks or whatever. That would be an example of where someone is still in some way getting punished or not being allowed to drive drunk at the very least, but their life's not being ruined and they're not now fearing going to jail and making panic decisions while drunk, which result in them being, in this case, killed. Or, if they hadn't killed him, being charged with a whole slew of other things and ending up in jail for years. Right. Which John Hurtley says earlier, the breathalyzer question should not be asked. And for anybody who doesn't know, the question is, do you consent to a breathalyzer? You can say yes, you can say no. Now, he follows it up with, if you're drunk, your judgment is impaired, so there's really no consent. Because I'm not sure about every state, but I know in all of them that I have been, 
if you are drunk, you cannot cons- like you, you cannot like, sign a contract. You can't sign a contract. You do. You can't consent. Uh-huh. So you cannot consent to a breathalyzer when drunk. Yeah, you can't. But Chris Reynolds is right in the comments where he says, but the state needs that DUI money because on average, and this could be different from the last time that I looked into it because I've been sober now for almost six years. um, It costs roughly 10 grand anytime you get a DUI. Which is absurd. That's the average. I mean, it's, it's, and it's more likely to affect those who can't afford that. So if you're super wealthy, you're driving in your Ferrari and you get pulled over and it costs you all this money, it's an inconvenience and you're pissed off, but you'll be fine. And you're also more likely to be able to have someone like hire someone to drive you or drive your car or you have a chauffeur or whatever so you can get drunk and party like a rock star all, all weekend long or whatever. This is affecting people who can't afford it and it's ruining their lives. For no good reason. And I used to be a law and order person. And I hear the law and order person inside of me going, yeah, but the whole point of that is to deter them from doing it. When your life is so on the precipice of being ruined, you become hopeless. You end up in bad situations because you're not thinking in, in this, well, I have to do this or it's going to prevent that. You're one paycheck away from losing everything. So you just not necessarily make the best choices. And how amazing would it be if we had a system of justice that instead of pounding you while you're down, says, hey, listen, you're drunk, you shouldn't be driving. Let's see if you can leave your car here. And if you can't, you're going to have to pay to have your tar- car towed because you can't leave it here. That's trespassing. Um... But you get to go home and you sober up and you don't have a record and you don't have to pay to get bailed out and we're not going to give you a hard time. And, you know, if this keeps happening, there's going to be a problem and, and, you know, we may have to look at your license. But, you know, right now, we're going to just get you home, get you off the streets, especially in this situation where he wasn't even on the street in the first place. He was asleep. Let him get out of his car and go home. Yeah. Restorative yeah. justice is the idea that if you if here's another example, petty theft. Instead of throwing a poor person in jail because they can't afford the fines, which then are still there and when they get out of jail they now have interest, find out a payment plan so that they can pay back for the theft or just tell them to give it back and pay some kind of fine and give them time to pay it and then don't have something on their record that makes it impossible for them to find a job so that they now don't have to keep robbing people to make a living. Don't take away their ability to thrive. Let them learn from the mistake, restore from it, restore any harm or damage that was done or theft that was done to the victim so that they're whole and now allow the the, the perpetrator to learn from it because they're a human too and they can now go and thrive instead of having their life ruined, which if you're a fiscal conservative costs way more than just helping them in that immediate situation. Now, according to uh, legal consultant Chris Reynolds, personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds. Is, attorney, have we added that now? Not only is he personal injury attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law, he is legal consultant, personal injury yeah, he, attorney Chris Reynolds, attorney at law. Now, it was kind of something that was mentioned like in passing that okay. I agreed. To. 
uh, but he said that he would be happy to join the show yes. uh, to discuss legal issues that you and I, not being trained, uh, would have. He would have a much better viewpoint than you and I ever would on it. But he said, "Yes, uh, next episode, hundred percent. Yeah, totally down. Yes." Um, he said that you are more likely to get put in jail for driving without a license and yep. subsequent DUIs. And it's hard to get out of the cycle. And yes, yes, it is. Cause I know when did I lose my license? I lost my license a couple of times. And I know that I continued driving because I had to get to work. I had bills to pay. Luckily I did not get pulled over anytime that by didn't have my license um but uh, i know tons of people who do and they end up going to jail and then they have to pay those fees they're losing their jobs because they're not going to work because they're in jail or they can't make it there because they don't have licenses after that and there's no way they're going to be driving and they end up just falling deeper and deeper into that hole which causes people oddly enough to drink more to make more bad decisions because their life's ruined exactly right and we're even admit because people go, well, they shouldn't have done the first thing, the, the, the bad thing first. You're absolutely right. They shouldn't have done what humans do all the time. Bad choices. Right. I and, am grateful that I didn't get pulled over many times. That's all yeah. I have to say about that. But what I will say is this. We all make mistakes and some of us are more likely to get, are, are statistically more likely to get held up for those mistakes than others. But even if we all were the same likelihood, regardless of our income, regardless of our race, regardless of what neighborhood we live in, regardless of our ethnicity or sexual uh, identity or gender identity or whatever, even if we were all in an even playing field, I would still prefer a system that tells people when they make mistakes, hey, let's rectify this. You robbed this person. Okay, do you still have it? Give it back to them. And you're also going to have to pay something for the fact, not to us, but to them for the fact that you deprived them of that thing that you took from them for whatever period of time you had it. Not to us, but to them, the actual victim. And you know what? We actually have a training thing that costs way less than putting you in jail for 10 years or five years. And it's a training that, you know, we'll talk to you about why you shouldn't steal. And maybe there's some resources to help you, which again, because I hear the people going, but there's a jobs program cost way less them putting someone in jail and doesn't result in someone having their life ruined and almost assuredly becoming a ward of the state as a result of it. Instead, they can go and learn from it as a kid and thrive like wealthy people do when they make mistakes. Let people learn from their mistakes and move ahead. In this situation, we don't want a very drunk person or very high person on the streets. So get them off the streets. If it becomes a routine thing where it keeps happening, well, this sounds like a mental health issue or an addiction issue or a trauma issue. Let's deal with that because there aren't a lot of people who go, hey, I'm such a jerk that I want to go make the roads dangerous for myself and everyone around me. That is a manifestation of something bad. And you can do one of two things. You can ruin their life as a result of it. And ensure that they will now be a ward of the state for the rest of their life and not able to really contribute anything, which costs way more and helps no one. Or you can deal with whatever that thing is 
so that they can move forward in life. And of course, in a voluntary society, we'd be much more likely to do this because we'd be doing it voluntarily instead of having taxes taken from us to pay for it. Because when taxes are taken from us to pay for it, we're more likely to be vindictive and say, I don't want to pay for their life to be better. They shouldn't have done that thing. I want them to be punished for it. And that's why we have the system we have. We need restorative justice. Ethan Bishop Henchman in the comments, uh, he said, turn them over to associations and community groups to sponsor their treatment and rehab. Exactly. Yes. 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 And Ethan, thank you for watching. Yeah, Ethan, thank you for watching. Ethan, Bishop Henchman, perfect example. I cannot remember. Is it Episcopalian? Lutheran? Presbyterian? It's one of those. I am certain that your church, you would say cough, church is cough. I'm certain your church or your parish or your bishopdom, I'm not good at this, but your non-Jewish, what you call your place of worship, would be more than happy to help people who are in this situation with this exact type of thing. Episcopalian, I knew it. Episcopalian. That was the first one I said, right? Yes, I think so. Yes, because I knew it. I knew it was Episcopalian. I should never second guess myself. And so the I'm certain that your church would be more than happy to help with this type of a thing. Much more than they would want for their parishioners to be taxed to, <laughs> to pay for people to have their lives ruined. Ethan, Ethan is talking about the Protestant gays. Fun story. I don't even remember it. Oh, yeah, no, so we did an AMA. I did an AMA with, with uh, uh, Ethan and his husband, Joe Bishop Henchman. Uh, and uh, to, it, was, it was geared towards the, the Pragmatist Caucus, but it was anyone could watch it. And it was to talk about my, my run for, for vice president and uh, why I thought I should get the nomination. And it must have worked. Thanks again, guys. Uh, but the, uh, in, in it, I talked about uh, uh, Calvin Coolidge, and we talked about how dire he was how how dour he was and how and i said the protestant gaze meaning the protestant gaze like when you gaze at someone with your eyes disapprovingly and that's an actual term the protestant gaze i said the protestant gaze ethan and joe got the weirdest look on their face <laughs> ethan and joe being both homosexual and Protestant thought I was doing some kind of weird flex on them or something. I'm not 100% sure what you, uh, what you, what you thought I was trying to accomplish there. But I, uh, I said Protestant gays. They looked a little, not I wouldn't say off put. I think they didn't know what to think, and so I thought, oh, they must not have heard of the, the Protestant gays before, and so. Went through the entire episode, through, through the entire AMA, had a great time. And then afterwards, they said, I don't even remember how it came up, but they went, you know, wh- why did you bring up that we're Protestant gays or something like that? And I said, no, the gays, guys, the, the, like with your, with your... And so the best part about that is that for the better... And they were so kind about it. And that made me respect the two of them much more because I said something that if I had been in their situation and had not known what I was talking about, I would have thought, is he trying to be snarky with us? And 
they were so gracious about it and let it roll off their off their their back like a like a duck um that i uh i'm grateful for that thank you for your 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 protestant grace g-r-a-c-e right just making sure so (laughs) here we go uh got some questions here um what are you uh andrew william brown says what are your stances on people i love them they are the power oh people people my stance is that i'm spike cohen and you are the power um Christopher McQueen says, I was put on two years probation for a first offense DUI in Texas County, Missouri. Went to jail twice for violating probation on minor offenses. Had to pay $82 a month for the breathalyzer, 40 a month for probation fees, and raised insurance costs. Exactly. They get you on that I probation. You. I feel you, man. They, put, they get you on that probation, and it's like, okay, you already made the, this mistake. Now we're going to make it so that if you, if you make a similar mistake or any mistake, we're going to really like harm you, your life, like a lot. And it, especially if you're in smaller towns, police already know who you are. They know you got probation. They know they can get an easy caller if they can catch you doing something, you know, something maybe you shouldn't be doing, something that really isn't even anyone's business. It's just, it's just a tear. It's like, it is, it's not just punitive justice. It is destructive justice. I think Ethan Ethan called it regressive justice. It's just it is using justice as a means of dragging people into poverty, or if they're already in poverty, making sure they remain in poverty and have no means to get out of it. It is just a vindictive and cynical way of looking at your fellow person. So I guess maybe that was what what are your stances on people? My stances on people is that we should be a lot more kind to them. And that justice should be about leading to less harm in the future than there would have been with our current system. Um, if uh, Thomas Gamble says, if you're unhappy with war, wasted tax dollars, marginal quality, overpriced health care, uh, falling education ratings and less control of your life, stop voting for the two parties that have been in control of America for the last 150 years. I'm voting for Dr. Joe Jorgensen to bring our service members home. Restore individual liberty and constitutional governments. Hashtag Joe 2020. Hashtag Team Joe. Hashtag Vote Gold. Hashtag Libertarian. Thanks for your support, Thomas. That means a lot. Uh, Craig DaCosta says, I tell my clients this all the time. I point out how my fees are 100 times more than the most expensive Uber. Uh, slash Lyft. Oh, oh, slash Lyft ride they can imagine. Unfortunately, it already happened. Also, I tried using Uber in my country-ass location and they were not running by the time I was done drinking. Good thing a friend drove me home. And this is the thing. Like, we need to just look at this as someone did something that isn't the best idea. Let's fix it. And now make it so that whoever may have been victimized by this situation can be made whole to whatever extent possible. And the person who did it can learn from it and do better in the future. And maybe we find that there's something that caused them to do that, that can be dealt with so that they don't do it in the future. And the law and order people go, well, that's just going to make people go and commit crimes to get help. No, it's not. No one wants interactions with the police for no reason. It's not going to make people, people who are otherwise okay are not going to go out and commit crimes and risk interactions with the police in order to get some help. And if you're worried that they might do that, 
Well, then that's a great idea to get rid of the laws that make it hard for voluntary organizations to help people before they do cries for help like that. What a fantastic segue into ending the all of the ridiculous uh, health and labor department restrictions that make it nearly impossible in most states to be able to help people without having to spend tens or, or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in absurd compliance costs for no good reason other than to prevent people from being able to help each other. Now, the way that the, what I've always said is that driving drunk shouldn't be shouldn't be a serious crime unless you hurt somebody or something while doing so. If you hurt somebody while doing it, I don't think you should be able to claim, oh, I was drunk. It shouldn't count. I think that then it should be. Oh, no, of course not. No. And, 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 And that's the thing. Part of the risk is if you do this, you could end up, you know, in jail for a long time and have that on your on your conscience that you killed someone or maimed someone or greatly harmed someone or almost killed someone or or whatever but uh, and again i'm not even saying that we shouldn't be stopping you know actively working to stop duis because duis in and of themselves people like to say duis aren't victimless are, are victimless crimes i think duis are crimes that are waiting for a victim in a similar way that if I walk out, if I walk into the street, if, I, if, I, if I'm walking down the sidewalk and just shooting my gun in the air, that in and of itself, I haven't created a victim yet until those bullets start falling from the sky and killing people. Which, by the way, don't ever shoot a gun up, you know, in the air like that, especially if you're in like a suburban or metro area because those bullets, this isn't, this isn't a, a, a Nintendo video game like the bullets fall. Um, they don't like eat up in the atmosphere. Anyway, so the point of that is a, 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 a victim is waiting to happen. You might get lucky and get home without any victims being created, but you are making conditions that could lead to a victim happening. I'm not saying don't stop or or even don't tow the cars of, of DUI uh, people that are, are, are driving under the influence. I am saying there is a better way to deal with it. This way has not worked. This way has just ruined people's lives. A better way is to actually deal with the situation and try to uh, uh, try to find the cause of why it happened in the first place and make whole anyone who was actually victimized. But instead of this focus on, we are all people that can name dozens of times that we screwed up and could have been it could have ended up in jail if if the situation had been different. If you know if a cop had been there. Basically, we can all name dozens, some of us hundreds of times that we would have ended up in jail. But then many of us, when we hear that someone else did the same thing, we go, well, they shouldn't have done it. Throw them in jail, ruin their life. No, we're all people who make mistakes. Let's try to instead make people whole so people can go back to living their lives and maybe thrive and learn from it. And then if there's an actual like root cause of a of a consistent behavior and it's not just someone making a stupid mistake, but an actual consistent behavior, finding the root cause of that and dealing with it so that... It doesn't happen anymore. It costs less money. It costs less time. It leads to less uh, uh, bad outcomes. It leads to more people having learned their lesson and being able to get ahead. And it leads to the victims of these things actually being made whole. Why wouldn't we do it? Anyway. um... Uh, Ike Sanchez uh, says, I'm from a small town, got targeted because I smoked the ganja. Now I have a pending felony for a plant. Shouldn't have been illegal. Yeah, it shouldn't have been illegal. That, that, that goes beyond restorative justice. You shouldn't have even gone to jail for that. Or you right. shouldn't have even right. been arrested. They shouldn't have even taken it. It's none of, none of their business. 
Right. Don't know where you're from. Sorry for all of that. That sucks. And it shouldn't be illegal. Christopher McQueen. I was never asked to go to AA by the judge. He just threw the book at me and gave me probation. I go to AA now on my own because I needed help. I wish someone told me to go to AA. Exactly. Imagine if the judge had just said, hey, listen, go to AA or go to uh, Al-Anon or whatever. You know, go, go to one of these groups and go through the program and come back and show me that you've done it. And you know, I want you to, I want, I want you to keep coming back and show me you stayed clean for six months. And in the meantime, or, or a year or whatever, and in the meantime, I'm not going to put anything on your record. You're not on probation, you're not on whatever, but you have to do this. Minimum no. sentencing guidelines make this impossible for judges to be able to like come up with common sense, empathetic, creative ways of saying, hey, listen, I, you know, I, I you shouldn't have done this. It, it sounds to me like you got a drinking problem. Before I throw the book at you or punish you, I want you to get help. I think you need to get help. I think you can agree you need to get help. So get help and then, and then, and then, Six months from now, a year from now, I go, hey, that's great. You never have to talk to me again. Hopefully, you don't get in trouble. And now you're sober. This incident was the catalyst. Instead of you having a burden, instead it's a catalyst for you removing a burden so you can get ahead. And again, as the the former law and order conservative that I am, I know all those things that people say when they hear this stuff. What government helping people? I'm not even saying government needs to do it. I'm just saying government doesn't harm them, doesn't arrest them, tells them, hey, listen, go find someone who will help you with this, like an AA, like an Al-Anon, like the, uh, uh, um, you know, like a church, like any of these things, any of these groups that would love to help people and would love to help people get get back on their feet or to address problems that they have. They would love that. There's a there's an organization in, in, in Ori County that gives free counseling service to people uh, that are lower income. And I think it's on a sliding scale, too. I think there's free and then depending on your income, you can actually qualify for, you know, let you know, less cost where, where they and it's not government funded. It's just people that want to help people. Now, one of the times uh, that I had legal troubles, that was actually part of my punishment was to go to uh na or na na or aa that was one of the punishments that i had to do i also had to do community service and some other crap but they were like yeah if you can do this then you'll be out and the second word in both of those letters is anonymous so you didn't have to go you just had to get the slip signed by anybody it really didn't matter um and i discovered that very quickly when i was of that age, but you know, poor choices. And I knew that I was not ready to stop doing everything that I was doing. I knew the half-life inside of me. So I knew when I needed to stop doing anything before I went to go show up to uh, my tests. Right. And as a result of that, you kept having interactions with, with the police from, and that's the thing. And, And, you know, eventually you realized this would, this had to stop. And Given different circumstances, you could be in prison right now. Yeah, no, for the, many, many, many years. Right. The fact that I am not is actually very surprising. Statistically, it's not, and that's the problem: is that there are different outcomes for different groups and identities, and 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 it, the fact even, that I didn't get caught more often is surprising. Yeah, that and that's that's fair. Um, so I'll go through some of these. Uh, Brittany Brissett, I'm new to the party, but I've never supported a presidential party the way I support you and Joe. Thank you. The common sense you both have is so refreshing. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for, 
for for your support. Stephanie King, my husband lost his business a few years ago because they impounded his work van when they found a small amount of the plant in it and he didn't have the money to get it back. Your husband's, this is exactly what I'm talking about, which by the way, that ends under a Jorgensen Cohen administration, because not only do we end the war on drugs on the federal level by declining to enforce these laws in the first place, uh, and, and also by firing people in the DEA and not replacing them. Uh, but we also tie the use of uh, cooperation between federal and state uh, police agencies on their not violating the constitutional rights of their residents. For example, continuing the war on drugs on the state level. So if we don't see them doing that, no cooperation at the federal level until they get their way of policing and interacting with the public in line with a very closely defined set of limitations set forth in the constitution and as it relates to the states the affirmation of certain uh, enumerated uh, rights that it clearly states that and affirmed rights that it clearly states that the american people have so in other words we're going to use that magic parchment and actually enforce it so that'll be fun um uh, Ethan Bishop Henchman says that the problem is, and white people definitely do this to each other in less well-off areas, like where I'm from, some people like these laws because they give themselves a reason to feel superior to others and helps to create visible class destinations. A very interesting thing that Ethan is referring to about what we call institutional racism. A lot of people, when they hear institutional racism, they think that it's just against people of color and uh, people that aren't white. That's not true. Institutional racism was set up to make the vast majority of white people who are being harmed to some extent by the status quo and the system that is in place to feel superior to others because, well, at least I'm not as bad off as them, which helps kind of act as a bomb, a soothing bomb for the, uh, oh, distinctions. I thought we were, I thought class destinations, that was like a new age, a new, you know, hipster type of term. Um, anyway, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, it, it allows them to say, well, at least I'm not as bad off as that guy. Instead of saying, hey, this sucks what I'm going through, and I don't think it's fair, and what that guy's going through is even worse than me. What a terrible thing he's going through. We definitely need to stop what's happening to us. Instead, it's 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 uh, laid out in such a way that leads people to go, well, at least I'm not as bad off as that guy. I'm better. I'm benefiting from this system. No, you're not. You're not benefiting. One, uh, of, uh, one of our good friends posted this week... Um, if you don't want to get in, and I'm going to paraphrase the crap out of this because it's not in front of me, but he said, if you're out there saying, uh, if you're out there saying, how do you put it? If you don't want to get in trouble with the police, don't do anything illegal. And I know the name of your drug dealer. You should probably just shut up. And you see that a lot. People who do a lot of legal things that they know are illegal will quickly go to will quickly go to, well, they shouldn't have been doing anything illegal if they didn't want to get there. You do illegal things. You do illegal All of us things. Do. All of us do. What is it? is it? The average American commits three felonies a day or some ridiculous thing? Seven. Is it seven? Yeah. And even three is bad I, I, enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm 90% certain it's seven. Um, Whatever yeah. it is. More Whatever. than one. The average American is, is committing a felony... The, more than more once than a day zero. more than zero yeah that means that there are you may go through your random average day in which you feel that you are not doing anything illegal like you're just living your life 
on average, seven. It's just, and this, I just pulled up an article. There's, you know, it says eight ways we regularly commit felonies without realizing it. So for us to go back and say, oh, you shouldn't be breaking the law. Well, let's, first of all, let's look at if the law is something that should even exist. If this particular law is something that should even exist in the first place. And if it is, let's look at how common it is that it's broken. Because, like, you know that time when you didn't come to a complete and full stop at the stop sign? Because you could already see that there was no one anywhere near you, and you could just kind of roll through it? You broke the law. It's against the law. And if a cop is hidden somewhere, they can arrest you for that. Or they can pull you over, and then if they in pulling you over, they smell something, or you're... Okay, because of Chris Reynolds, I looked it up. It is three. It's not seven. Still. More than zero. More than zero. And that's the problem. It is a problem. Um, let's go through some of these comments here. And then we'll, we'll need to wrap up because I'm... Because <laughs> yeah, we're pushing three. I've, I've been doing... We're, we're going into hour... Three. Hour three. Um, uh, oh, you already gave the website for... Uh, yeah, if anyone wants to watch this, muddywatersmedia.com. Uh, uh, Vicky Foxwish Douglas says, can confirm I'm a white survivor of cop brutality. Keyword survivor. There's something there. Casey Neth says, absolutely, just as some jobs are dangerous while drinking, yet alcohol is legal. It's about responsible use. Exactly. Like, unless you're having or using something is impairing you in such a way at a time when it could be dangerous to others, then it's no one's business. Uh right. Vixie, I hope I'm saying this right. Vixie Fox, Fox Wish Douglas, NQI and Black. I assume you mean quantitative, quantitative <laughs> qualified immunity and Black Lives Matter. That's what our our campaign's all about is ending that. Um, Christopher McQueen. People in my town check the jail roster every morning just so they can gossip. We have these stupid newspapers uh, uh, at the um, uh, like at gas stations when you're checking out, and there are these newspapers. And it shows everyone's, you know, uh, uh, you know, mug shots from that week. And people look at it and go, oh, look at this guy. And I'm looking at the person saying this. I'm like, you don't look much better. And it really is this just, this like really stratified classism. But it's classism even within that class. People who just feel superior to others. And they're leveraging a punitive state to give them just some semblance of feeling better than others because that same state has harmed them so much that it has left them and their family and their communities in a state of stagnance and in a state of, of just being unable to get ahead. But they get to read that thing that makes them feel a little bit better than that guy that just got arrested. And hope and then, hopefully, uh, they don't get arrested and, and get made fun of next. Uh, Lance, I'll try to find Matt's mugshot. There are multiple, so have fun. Yeah, really. Um, Lance Hawk, Spike Cohen, can you comment on how the LP will address pollution and environmental damage in a deregulated corporate environment? Uh, that's actually the answer to a deregulated environment. The uh, what we have right now is a system whereby the government is the largest polluter, easily. The government, especially the military, is the largest polluter, uh, largest single polluter, and uh, they are using, they are giving carve outs to their favored cronies' businesses so that when they 
have a massive leak or when they have a, you know, a, a meltdown or when they, you know, uh, release toxins into the air, they get carve outs because they're too big to fail. Uh, the other, other thing that happens is that they create a series of burdensome regulations to our domestic business market for one reason. I just put up one hand for one reason to make it so unaffordable to do business here that no smaller competitors can rise up and disrupt the market and knock any of those extremely wealthy, well-heeled crony businesses off their place. And what they know is that when they do that, when they make it unaffordable to do business here, they can more than afford to move their bases of operation overseas to places like China and Malaysia and Vietnam and uh, Mexico and other places to other countries where the regulations aren't as high and it costs much less to do business here. So that it's so much less to do business there that it's even once you factor in the cost of now shipping all of that stuff back over here, it's still less expensive than the overly burdensome environment they have created for everyone else. You know, us who can't afford that and therefore aren't able to do the things we want to do. How many great ideas have been destroyed because some person in their garage couldn't afford the thousands or tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in compliance costs to even try to do it in the first place. And now we look at the environmental damage that is happening as a result of instead of something being made here and shipped here, now it's being made somewhere else where they have no environmental controls or even any concern for the environment or stewardship for the environment. And then it's shipped back over here, which exponentially increases the carbon footprint for every single one of those products that are and, and, and goods that are being made and shipped over here. And now it makes sense when you wonder why the carbon footprint of the U.S. continues to go down while it skyrockets everywhere else. That's why, because all of it's being moved from here to other places. And we already know the impact of that financially and economically, the fact that an increasing number of people are losing their jobs to offshoring of businesses. We know the social impact of people, entire groups of people, entire communities that used to have gainful employment now can't do so because the basis of operation for where they used to work have been moved thousands of miles away, leaving them to be wards of the state, which tears on the very fabric of a community that feels that they are no longer contributors and instead are wards of the state. And all of the terrible social outcomes that happen as a result of that, suicide, crime, fatherless homes, uh, 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 addiction, every terrible thing that happens as a result of someone being robbed of their dignity and their ability to contribute and grow and move ahead. But going back to your talk about environmentalism, take the cronies out of it, take the government out of it, and now all of a sudden, you can't have cronies destroying the domestic labor market and the domestic business market and bringing stuff and, 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 and doing an end run around it and bringing, they, they wouldn't have to move those jobs over. No one would be moving jobs to the other side of the planet to dictatorial regimes using sweatshop labor and shipping it back here if those regulatory burdens weren't here in the first place. Because if those regulatory burdens were, weren't here, they'd just make it here. And it would be even cheaper than that whole arrangement. And the environmental cost would be much less. And all of the people who right now are being stopped from creating the next amazing thing that will help the environment aren't going to be stopped from doing so because they can't afford the tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in compliance costs. So that is how you answer it. And also, if you stop doing carve-outs and their version of qualified immunity for big businesses, now they can be sued, which is a deterrent. 
We've been talking about qualified immunity all night. If you look at our environmental laws, they are basically a series of qualified immunities for big businesses who, in exchange for exchange of cooperating with the authorities, never have to pay any real. They pay mild fines that are nothing close to what they'd have to pay in lawsuits if they weren't protected by the government. So on any question, when people say without government, who would do X? The answer is we would do X and we wouldn't have the government there making it harder or in some cases impossible. So for this specific question, without government, who would protect the environment? We would, and government wouldn't stop us from suing the polluters, and they wouldn't be creating barriers that make a much more polluting way of doing business more affordable. So that's the answer for that. Um, Stephanie King wants to know which Hogwarts house you think you'd be sorted into. Hufflepuff. I don't even like. I, I. I. That might be Pokemon. Um. No, that's. Is, is that is that Harry Potter? Yes. I'm thinking of Jigglypuff. You are thinking of Jigglypuff. I would uh, be in the house of Jigglypuff. I don't have to think. I know uh, Ravenclaw. Raven Jigglypuff. So yeah, how's the campaign? What's going on? Campaign's going fantastic. Uh, we have uh, tens of thousands of volunteers now. Our our group uh, that was created uh, actually used to just be a private group for uh, Joe and her campaign team back when they were um, trying to win the nomination. It now has something like 40,000 members. Um, it is incredibly vibrant. Um, we have, we are well, we are beyond what was expected in terms of, uh, fundraising goals. And I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not sure if NDA allows me to say what that amount is. I think it does, but just to be safe, I'm not going to say it, but we are ahead of what we were expected, uh, to be at at this point. Uh, and unlike the previous ticket, we aren't just handing all of it to Ron Nielsen. And so, uh, it, it going incredibly well, uh, on a personal note, I'm going to be, so my episode that I, I referenced uh, from last week, my episode, uh, my panel with uh, Antonia Okafor-Cover there on the left, she's the director of outreach for the gun owners of America, who are like the NRA, except they don't suck. And uh, <laughs> on the right there, Marcelle Tig Davis, uh, who is the, uh, she's a uh, nationally regarded firearms instructor and the owner of My Sister's Keeper Defense. We had an amazing panel discussion on my show, My Fellow Americans, where we talked about uh, the Second Amendment and civil liberties and self-protection and uh, the interaction between police and communities of color and the history of, 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 of those interactions and uh, civil, uh, I think I already said civil liberties, and all sorts of stuff. Um, it went so well that I am currently working with the Gun Owners of America and the Libertarian Party and Antonia, uh, and I believe Tig as well, to uh, do an expanded version of that panel at the convention. Uh, and so the details on that will be available soon. We're still working on the exact dates and the exact layout, but it's looking like uh, it's going to be a really cool thing. We're going to have hopefully both of them uh, back, and then we'll have a few more people uh, representing to, to, to demonstrate that sort of debunk the whole idea that gun rights are a, a white guy thing. Um, and, and that it's, you know, they're about self-protection. It's about 
being able to be on equal footing with those who presume authority over you. It's about your civil liberty to be able to defend yourself. It's about self-protection. It's about all of those things. And so that's a, uh, it's an incredible thing. It's uh, fantastic. And uh, campaign's been going amazing. Go ahead. I was going to say Aaron Mizell. If I pronounce that wrong, Aaron, I apologize. Yes. Uh, asks if t-shirts coming soon. I assume she means for the campaign, but just in case she doesn't go to muddiedwatersmedia.com and go visit the store. Yeah, we uh, have a store. We have a store, but for the campaign, uh, the branded merchandise is coming very soon. I believe this coming week uh, that that's going to be rolled out, but there is already some branded merchandise. I don't know about a shirt, but if you go to, to the LP store, uh, which is, I think, lpstore.com. lpstore.org. There's already some Jorgensen Cohen stuff there. But uh, there, we do have the brand of merchandise coming very, very soon. And Ethan Bishop Henchman wants to know if we're both coming to convention. I'm 99% certain Spike is going. And I yes. will be there some days since I don't live all that far. Yeah. I will definitely be there. I'll actually be at the hotel. And I will show up whenever I deem it necessary to drive to Orlando. And back. And back. And back. Yeah, he'll be there. We'll both be there. I will be there, be there. Um, because um, I'm the vice presidential candidate. And so, uh, let's see here. Um, is GOA going to officially endorse you? That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Uh, I'm certainly certainly not uh, expecting or demanding that, but uh, that would be amazing. Um, no pressure. Uh, uh, Mark Mareska says, as president and VP, how would you and Joe weigh in if a state wished to secede? I'm going to leave that to Joe. I don't know that we have an official position on secession i certainly have some opinions about it <laughs> pretty certain i know those um <laughs> i'm pretty certain most people can can guess it yeah um will there be flags i need one to counteract the giant trump flag we get asked that a lot i want to i want to counter my my neighbor's trump flag there will be flags and i believe lp store has flags right now but yes we, we will be flagged um political prisoner too yes you should be there yeah exactly i i kind of have to be there even if i i, I don't i want to be there but even if i didn't want to be there um i have to be there um sarah ann andereg noted super fan sarah ann andereg Noted uh, says I'll probably drive because gas mileage. Okay. Well, yeah, we're going to go together. So she is going to be driving because her car gets much better gas mileage than my Jeep. Well, yeah. Cause <laughs> right. it closes. Cause it, it's a car. Cause it's a car. <laughs> uh, Ethan, I assume they wouldn't care as long as there was a free and transparent referendum when most of the population wasn't enslaved and unable to vote. Hey, that sounds like something I, I might say about secession. It might. That that sounds uh, very close to something you would say. It sounds like... certainly don't want to say verbatim. I don't want to tip my hand here or anything, but that sounds like like a real... Isn't that a real great day in the morning? 
Um, oh, Chris Reynolds. Just. Really? Just. What, what, no. Um, the answer is 18, by the way, just so you know, Chris Reynolds. But thank you for pointing it out. I'm not reading it out loud. People can just guess what 18 is. That's probably just as well, though, honestly. Um, I think you need it a little. Uh, we're also dropping, driving, stopping for a super gay libertarian day at the beach for my birthday on the 6th. So, so beach gays. We're, um, we're, I, there was something I was going to say, but beach gays, I, I threw myself off of that. Um, yeah, but you you're stopping in Florida at a beach. Like that is literally Florida minus like part of the middle. Like, you could stop anywhere. Yeah, there's so many places to stop. It's really just a giant beach. It's like a, a giant phallus-shaped beach. That was the original Florida motto back when it was part of New Spain. Yes. <laughs> hey, Matt. Oh, he's stopping in South Carolina. Um, still oh, we're in South Carolina. Yeah, the original, uh, the original Floridian motto back when it was part of Spain was "En realidad, somos solo una playa gigante en forma de falo." So Matt, yes, I'm just really tired. Like I can't even end the show. I'm that tired, Matt. Uh, I, I was if, that about 20 minutes ago. It's just like I'm not even doing a show at this point. I'm just talking to people. Uh, so Matt, hey, hi. If people, hi. If people were to want to find us on the internet. How is that even possible? It is possible. Uh, they can head over to anchor.fm slash muddied waters and uh, follow us. If you just want to hear our sweet, buttery, sultry voices. Streaming. I know I do. Yeah, I know. Just how do you not want to wake up to this and fall asleep to this? Muddied um, ASMR. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, you can listen to us at anchor.fm slash muddied waters or on your favorite podcasting device anchor.fm slash muddied waters or go to muddiedwatersmedia.com or if you want to follow I, I probably shouldn't do this for the campaign if you want to follow the campaign go to joj2020.com or you can follow me on twitter at real spike cohen or on facebook at facebook.com slash literally spike cohen so we have a show Tuesday, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we'll be back. Check us out in three on, days. Yeah, we'll be back on Tuesday, having used up most of our content for Tuesday today. <laughs> it's gonna be it's it's gonna be like a forty minute show. Yeah. Unless something WAP. really big happens. I may just like pull the Trump the Trump rally and just take We'll just all talk of about it. the Trump rally, yeah. It'd be like a twenty uh, it'll be like a mini sode. Like a 20 minute deal. So, nice. uh, yeah, we will be back on Tuesday and Wednesday. Bound to do something on Wednesday. Neat. Uh, 
Looking forward to it. Me too. Can't wait to tell you. Can't wait. Um, yeah. That's hey, everybody enjoy your first day of summer. And oh, by the way, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but allegedly the world is supposed to end tomorrow, so we may not have any of those shows. Wait. <laughs> According to whom? Uh, it has something to do with the Gregorian calendar transverse to, transposed to the Caesarian calendar and how it didn't match up to the uh, December 12th, 2020, or 2012 thing. And yeah, anyway, I'm certain it's not true. But according to somebody, they said that that was a thing. I didn't fact check it. I just wanted to mention it because I found it to be hilarious. Well, that's a cheery note to end on. Hey guys, this might be our last episode. Uh, and not just last, this might be our last everything. (laughs) Love you. Uh, so guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on Tuesday, which is definitely happening because Matt's thing is not true. And uh, then we'll see you on Wednesday for another episode of My Fellow Americans. And where we're going, we don't need roads.